In the meantime, why don't you tell us a little about your grow? Uh, uh, feel free to screen share, uh, or I can throw your Instagram up here. Uh, there we go. Who are you talking to, Steve? A fishy bud. Yeah. Uh, sure. So, uh, what you see here in this first set of pictures is uh, the start of the new indoor system. And uh, then we're kind of going down, you'll see a lot of baking included. So yeah, this is, uh, right now I've got two indica mothers and I just want to see which one I'm going to keep as uh, a mother to continue going through the winter in my new indoor system. So I'll be posting pictures of those on a regular basis. Uh, in the new indoor system, I've got five 30-gallon fish tanks in total, so that's just one of the mystery snails that I have to help clean stuff up. Uh, this is part of a control group, so I've got uh, several indoor light-controlled rooms, and this one is just uh, some stuff that I have growing in soil, so I can compare that you know, basically head to head with stuff that I'm growing in the aquaponics system. That's a, a site of the new uh, system that I have for inside here. So these are Dutch buckets just with uh, the cheap little Amazon dripper ir uh, irrigation system. And one of these setups is in light controlled and the other isn't. Then we get out into the greenhouse area where I've got the 8 by 24 greenhouse. So I live about four kilometers from the Bay of Fundy. My average temperature in the summer, I get daytime highs upwards of somewhere around 22, 23 degrees. So doing really high quality outdoor grow, it doesn't work very well for me. Uh, what I've found is if I have either a cold frame or inside a greenhouse, I'm getting a whole lot better grow in my area. So that's kind of uh, the whole reason that I started doing all of these grows is just trying to make it work in my area. And I gotta say, I love comets for doing aquaponics just because they are plentiful and I can buy 10 or 12 of them to set up a very small test system. Uh, again, cold frames because the stuff outside just doesn't always want to pick up very well. So just putting together some rough two by four cold frames doesn't have to be real tough. Uh, I get a lot of snow load, but they won't really need to be in use until mid-March. Do you have uh, anything else you'd like me to highlight in particular? I'm happy to pull up whatever. Uh, not really. I mean, one of the big things that you are going to see more often on here is more of this uh, gluten-free baking stuff. My girlfriend is gluten-free and kind of gave me a challenge to start baking more things for her. Awesome. Well, looks like you have quite the nice little setup there, man. That's awesome. A lot of media beds. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the wall in the back there. A lot of people don't know about those. So yeah, this is just uh, 
recycled pop cans and beer cans filled with sand. And I've got a little bit of uh, Alex acrylic caulking to hold them together, but painted black, they're like a, a battery for heat. So during the day, they'll warm up. And then as the ambient temperature inside the greenhouse drops, that's going to allow it to come back out to the rest of the greenhouse and help keep things warm longer and uh, just passive heating instead of needing to uh, rely on as much propane as I did the one year I tried to run year round. Sorry, just getting everything sorted here. Uh, let me make sure we are on the right view here. Uh, awesome. Um, so we also have a, a brain grow just joined us. Uh, brain, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and your grow? Uh, you've been on the podcast before a long time ago. I think it was over 100 episodes ago. Um, but you grow, uh, uh, you've been doing home aquaponics for quite a while. Uh, yeah, um, I've been doing aquaponics uh, uh like four years or so something like that and uh with my setup i've always uh been really into doing the ferments and uh like lactobacillus and the korean natural farming inputs and stuff like that and as as for my system um i actually uh i can describe my system to you guys it's it was uh two 75 gallon stock tanks one one is the sump tank in which that would pump up into the grow beds, which would then drain into the fish tank. And then that would overflow into the swirl filter and cycle back into the sump tank that way. And I had, um, I think they were about uh, 15 gallons was the volume of the grow beds that I used. And I had uh, three grow beds lined up all next to each other they all received the same water and whatnot and uh yeah that was that's pretty much the system that i ran and uh I, i've always had a uh, really good success using dual root zone of course like in my opinion anymore that's the only way to really go it really produced uh superior results to anything else that i had ever tried before so i always loved the dual uh dual root zone method Awesome. Uh, well, uh, Scotty's going to be with us momentarily. Um, the not, and, and we have our other panelists who I have not heard from uh, in the last hour or so. Hopefully, he joins us here shortly. Um, we did have one other panelist that was supposed to be with us. Uh, um, unfortunately, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, anyways, uh, Marty and I also have grown quite a bit at home, so we'll we'll help fill in a little bit uh, while we're waiting for Scotty and then to join. Um, so. Uh, um, what are some of the things that you guys have found that have been um, uh, kind of uh, challenges with setting up your home aquaponic system? Uh, maybe we'll start off with that. Uh, for myself, it's just been uh, a lot of self-taught more than anything else. So, you know, uh, I love the fact that everybody's got so much resources out on the internet, but until I actually try it myself, so... Uh, I think my biggest challenge has been uh, keeping the water off of the hardwood floors a lot of the time. I mean, really, I'm in an excellent spot where I don't have to worry so much about pest control as long as I keep good biosecurity and I'm not bringing too many plants indoors from outdoors. It's been really easy. So, you know, uh, 
compared to soil growing, this has definitely been a big bonus for me. So for me, uh, one of the biggest challenges that I really had a hard time dealing with initially was getting the pH to the level where you want it. And so what I found that uh, was always just really the easiest thing to do because uh, in my hometown, the, the, the water was like 8.5 hella calcium, you know, like it was really, really difficult to try to get that down to the pH where I wanted it. And so um, I, I, I think a lot of people really kind of have a, have an understanding or misunderstanding, however you want to see it, where like you can just throw, you know, throw chemicals at your water and the pH is going to drop down to where you want it, you know, but um, in, in my experience is uh, what I've always had the most success with is just uh, simply just doing water changes, you know, get you some uh, purified or distilled water or, you know, whatever you have to do to get that pH to drop down, to get those PPMs down, you know, because uh, uh, the higher the, the PPMs of the calcium and stuff like that, you know, it just buffers it up to where it's damn near impossible to drop it down using uh, uh, chemical inputs and stuff like that. It's almost like the, like a shotgun method in, in reverse, right, where you're just diluting everything. Um, and trying to bring those PBMs down, just like you're talking about. So rather than maybe trying to target a specific one, um, you know, you can drop all levels down and then build back up to where you want to go, which is a great option, especially in smaller systems. You know, if you've got like, you know, a 10,000 gallon system, it may not quite work the same way, but especially if you're like anywhere under like, you know, 2,000 gallons, it's probably, uh, going to be a lot easier for you to, uh, you know, drop some water, do a, do a water change, um, and, and just getting a feel for how much you need to top off and when and knowing what your water input is. If you're on well water, kind of like Rango was just talking about, I mean, that, that's uh, some of that stuff you're, you're not really going to know until you start doing it. It's almost like, you know, you can't intellectually learn to dribble a basketball at some point. You, you like have to get up and start trying to figure out how to do it and get a feel for it. So, um, you can get coached once you start trying and people can help you along the way, but there's an element to where you can't just sit in a chair anymore um, and, and do that. So um, definitely wanted to echo what Tishy Buds was saying there that uh, online learning is great and it's definitely come a long ways, uh, at least since I started, you know, kind of like what Murray was talking about. I think there was only... Um, uh, well, Steve, Steve, what was the, the YouTube guy that was on there? He did a home grow. Uh, Silver Arm. Silver Arm 32 was, I think, the only YouTuber that I could find doing anything aquaponic related when I started. It was probably like eight years ago or something like that now. Um, and and I, uh, I, I reached out to him to be on here. I don't know what happened. I haven't seen him post in quite a while or what happened with him, but he's been on the show, too, uh, on a couple early episodes. Oh, yeah. I love that guy. Um you know, very cool, but just the, the, the fact that we can have an, an entire, like, two-day conference full of people that um, are doing it is just, it, it's a huge difference maker and definitely consume all that content, but don't, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty at some point, um, and then you'll, you'll find all this content even, uh, even more intriguing and 
you'll get more out of it once you have some experience, in my opinion. Awesome. Uh, well, we also have uh, Aquaponic Cannabis joined us. Uh, he's also had an aquaponic channel for quite a long time. Uh, I think at least three or four years or more. Uh, I know I've seen his stuff around for quite a while. Uh, I'm excited to have him on the panel today. And you put out quite a bit of info on, on that as well on a couple of different uh, platforms. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself and your grow? Yeah, um, so I'm excited to be here with everybody as far as it goes. Um, um, a little bit about my grow. Um, I originally started off with just uh, an aquarium and a little uh, gallon tote. Um, and then slowly I've progressed my system. I've gone through five gallon buckets, um, doing a Dutch bucket design as far as my setup goes. And then I just transitioned over to a DWC type uh, setup. Um, so that way I could have a uh, higher yield, uh, more area for my roots, and then as well as more height than uh, my room. So that way I can try to maximize the space as far as it goes there. Um, I love sharing uh, all the information that I've learned and everything like that and everything that I do with my setups and everything. Um, I love sharing all of it. Um, I have a 3D printer and I like to do a lot of 3D designing. So sometimes I try to incorporate my own designs into my setup and um, see if I can maybe perfect a lot of the other things that I'm working on. Awesome. Um, uh, so uh, what are some of the different cultivars that you guys have all uh, uh, tried? Um, why don't we start off with Brain Grow? Okay, let's see. Cultivars I've tried. Uh, I've tried Green Alien. That was uh, from a, some, I can't remember the breeder that that came from, somewhere in uh, Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let's see, Dark Star, which was one that produced like really, really, really dark purple, like almost black leaves. Uh, I've grown uh, CBD strains in there. Uh, one in particular was called CBD therapy, and I've, I've pretty much always had success with growing whatever cultivars that I've tried, but I really, uh, I really attribute that to the dual root zone because in, in all my experiences that, that really has just made the whole thing just, just go a whole lot smoother, a whole lot more effortless. You know, of course you got to keep track of all your levels and stuff like that but once you know how to do that and then you know you're using dual rose on on top of that pretty much anything i've ever tried has has been uh fairly successful with with uh, aquaponics all right um do you want to go next uh, fishy buzz yeah, I mean, I mostly stick to indica stuff just because of the height requirements and uh, I find it's a little bit easier to deal with most of the time. Uh, so LA Confidential, Northern Lights, uh, Bubba Kush, at least they, uh, the seed catalog said that they're all indicas. So sometimes I kind of wonder at how good the seed catalogs are in some places. Um, other than that, right now, I think I've got the uh, weird purple stuff that uh, I got from somebody in a bag and some uh, love potion on the go. What about you, Aquapox Cannabis? Um, so uh, the one, the few of the strains that I've grown so far, um, 
White Gorilla, which is a White Widow Gorilla Glue Cross. Um, got that from uh, one of my friends that was uh, cultivating um, some clones. Um, and then uh, I just really, right now I have some cherry bomb that's grown that I got from a local seed bank um, by me. Um, and then other, otherwise I've had great, uh, from every, every single strain that I've grown, I've had no, uh, nothing but great potential out of them. So um, I see great success so far, as far as it goes. And I try to go to the local seed bank and get, try different strains, see which is gonna be the best to grow in the system. So that way I can find my go-to every time, so to speak. That's awesome. Uh, I have uh, also have some cherry bomb I got from Mr. Green Jeans uh, Garden himself. Uh, and then I also have some that I got from Cascadian Grown uh, that were an old line of, of uh, uh, cherry bomb as well. So uh, definitely a great cut. Um, what about you, Marty? Oh, <clears throat> man, so many. Let's see. We did uh, Lemon OG. We did... Uh, OG, we did Fruit Punch, Shiskaberry, Trainwreck. Uh, I mean, uh, Sour Strawberry. Uh, some of the more recent ones are like Thorsberry, Snowman, um, Straight Sour D. Uh, most of those are on my YouTube channel. We did updates. We did. Um, a blue cheese uh, in the outdoor one year. We did a mango. Um, I don't know. There's probably at least 20 different strains at this point. Um, it, it probably even more than that. So just a, a ton of them. Um, and all, it, again, I kind of like everyone else is saying, you know, across the board. And not only have I grown them, like all those different cuts in aquaponics, but some of them I've grown the same cuts also in various, whether you're talking about segregate planters or containers or raised beds. Um, we did Agent Orange in uh, Kim Dog and um, Purple all in, in raised beds and aquaponics both. Um, so yeah, we just have really done a number of different strains and, and found that across the board, you, you find some stuff in aquaponics just comes out more. You get a different flavor and terpene profile that is uh, more pungent, you know, so if it's gas, it's gassier, if it's fruit, it's fruitier. Um, and then the other thing is just uh, frost, the trichome coverage extends all the way into shade leaves on a number of different cultivars and in comparison to other methods of growing across the board. Um, the only one that really gets close is really quality living soil and raised beds, but still doesn't really get uh, the same type of uh, quality, in my opinion. And that's in like pretty much I didn't go all those strains side by side, but I think I've done probably 10 or 12 of them now in straight side by sides and clones of the same mom um, in various growing methods, including aquaponics. So um, definitely done a, a lot of home growing with a lot of different strains, which is kind of difficult to do when you can only grow like, you know, between 12 and 24 plants at a time. Thanks to Oregon's regulations, it's actually a lot harder than you think to try to keep any sort of variety around for very long. Uh, yeah, so that's over probably like the past seven to eight years. Awesome. Uh, and uh, I've grown uh, quite a few different ones. You guys have heard about the uh, blue hash that I've been growing for a long time. 
uh, and a bunch of other different strains. Um, Golden Goat's a good one, Bruce Banner, Godbud. I'm just trying to think of other ones that were just like really good yielders. Um, and then just some funky ones. Uh, Three Little Birds was really good uh, for a CBD heavy cultivar. Um, the Dem Healer from Dragonfly, uh, the um, G13 hash plant that I got from them as well as probably my single favorite daily driver smoke. I can puff on that all day long and be lit and still functional and get a ton done. And like gives you that like energy rush that like, like having a nice coffee, you know what I mean? It's that like good, like get shit done weed. You know what I mean? Uh, it's one of my favorites. Um, and then uh, a big fan of like those heavy, heavy, thick Nepalese, uh, Pakistani, you know, Afghani, like they get that thick anthocyanin, that thick hashy, you know, that heavy, heavy smoke. Uh, I, I like that. Very cool. I will say that the probably snowman, I would say, grows the fastest. But you can clearly tell um, in, next to pretty much any other strain that I've seen in aquaponics, it really seems to grow. Uh, a, a vigorous growth rate in, in veg is probably the only one that I can think of that I, I might say, like, just really head and shoulders above other plants. It doesn't necessarily like finish any faster or develop any faster, but you can, you get larger plants quicker, it cuts down your veg time, you know, from three to four weeks down to, you know, two to two and a half weeks. So cool stuff. Awesome. Uh, we had another question from, we actually had a, a great question from chat. I wanted to throw up to the, the panelists. Um, did any of you have any fish keeping experience before you built your home system? If not, how has the learning curve been when dealing with the fish welfare portion of your system? And whoever wants to go first is welcome to take the floor. Yeah, I didn't have any real amount of experience. I might've had a few goldfish growing up and my father had a little uh, pond out in his backyard, but uh, again, growing the comets has been really good because they're such a tough fish. Um, though I have lost quite a few from time to time. I guess uh, growing up working with livestock made me kind of used to that and prepared. Sorry about that. I had to restart the uh, recording there uh, to make sure we don't lose the end like we did yesterday. Uh, or we didn't totally lose it, but we're not sure if I can recover it. So to make sure we don't have any issues, uh, I do apologize for the interruption. Go ahead. What yeah, about, I, also, uh, you I also did not have any uh, experience with raising fish. And as far as the learning curve goes, like that's, that's really no big deal. Um, the, the equipment that you, that you can buy to test your levels, as long as you do enough research and you understand what your levels are supposed to be at and what, what everything means whenever you read it on your test kit, then, then it's all good. Uh, you, you, you start your system just the way, you know, research will tell you to do, throw you maybe one fish in there to, to get the nitrification process started, to get the fish pooping and to start attracting your first bacteria. And then you start testing your levels to see uh, how much they have proliferated. And then the next bacteria comes along and you have, a, you know, where you can test for that. And you can see how much that bacteria has proliferated. And then you see your levels of ammonia completely drop down 
And then that's whenever you know your system is ready to go, you know. So like, as long as you're not doing any uh, really drastic sudden changes to your system, uh, it's, it's really not that hard to learn how to raise fish as long as you just have patience for it. All right. Uh, what about you, uh, aquaponic cannabis? Yeah, so um, I've actually kept fish uh, most of my life since I was super little. Um, I was really, I was a really big aquarium hobbyist. Um, to start off with, I've had saltwater tanks, um, all sorts of different things as far as it goes. So I was already into the fish game before I got into the aquaponics game. Um, so it was kind of a, a, a weird transition for me because um, obviously you have to monitor a lot of the same chemicals um, for the fish when you're just keeping them regularly um, just to make sure that you're, obviously your fish don't die. Um, but with incorporating the natural symbiotic relationship between plant and the animal, um, actually monitors, uh, you, monitoring the chemicals is one of those things that you would normally check anyways in aquarium hobbies. Um, and then with the aquaponics, it's just checking the same levels, checking everything the same, um, making sure that the fish are getting what they need. And it actually, you don't have to add any, a whole lot of chemicals to control the balances of a lot of the stuff um, when it comes to uh, pH and everything like that with the fish um, is what I've noticed um, when I was in the aquarium hobbies, like if uh, pH would just fluctuate like that, it was a big swing um, with the plants being involved. It's not a huge swing. It's something that can be caught early. And as long as you keep monitoring every everything and all your levels, you're normally you're spot on and it's uh, fairly easy. All right. Um, what is uh, What have you guys... Um, tried that uh, maybe uh, um, or hasn't worked out as well as you thought it would? Okay, so no, go, go ahead, ahead Fifty Buds, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I have to say, I've probably tried about five different variations of all of my different systems that I've finally come to now and uh, without having failed, I don't think I would have ever learned. So, you know, it's trying the Dutch buckets. I've had so many drain issues, um, flood and drain systems, trying to get a bell siphon working. Uh, I'm sure everybody's had all of these fun things happen over time. So for me, um... A couple of things that I've tried that haven't worked so well have to do with uh, pest management and just quite simply, uh, the first thing, ladybugs have never really worked out for me so well. And then the second thing would be uh, diatomaceous earth. Also, has I've never really seen any kind of noticeable effects from using either of those two things in my system for pest management. Uh, and I would agree with fishy buds. When I did uh, when I did the Dutch bucket design, I did have a really bad drainage issue. Um, I even tried three D printing a guard just to see if maybe I could try to keep the roots out as best as possible, or at least go out and be able to actually access the drain um, so that way I could clear it out, and make sure that the roots aren't getting clogged up in it. 
Um, so I've had a lot of those issues as well. Um, that's kind of why I went over to the DWC, um, which is what I'm trying out now because of the issues I did have with the Dutch bucket to see if maybe I can try to negate a lot of those issues with a, with a higher flow return and a higher flow in um, just to kind of cycle the water faster so that way it's not trying to suck it up, suck up the roots into the drain. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I guess I get, I'm kind of in the same boat as fishy buds. Like I, I tried all kinds of different systems. I probably have built like 10 different ones at this point. Like I, first time I, I think I did a timer and just some hydrogen and like some little tiny uh, buckets, almost like Dutch buckets, but they just had a drain that went right back down in. Like there was no like, you know, real uh, Dutch bucket drain system. And I mean, I guess it worked okay, but I had issues with it, like, you know, the trying to figure out how long to have the, uh, the timer on, <clears throat> you know, cause that I needed, um, you know, obviously I wanted to cycle the water through on a pretty regular basis, but how often, and then it would, it would change how long I needed the, the pump to go on, depending on how much root mass there was in there. Um, you know, so obviously I cut overflows and, you know, like all kinds of different things, but ultimately I just figured out that I got really frustrated with the timer and that's when I started looking into bell siphons and kind of um, watched a few videos and luckily I decided pretty early on that I wanted to do something besides bell siphons because so many people had issues with them and I got uh, I found a video I don't even remember who, who it was now I'll have to try to look it up at some point but they had done loop siphons and so I started working with those um, in loop siphons or u siphons and so that was uh, kind of my next setup. So I did half barrel beds with loop siphons. Um, and, and all of them, I guess, kind of, you know, are going to have some sort of issues, but none of them really, um, you know, anything like traditional gardening, like weeding or, you know, any different stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I've, I did segregated planters, you know, they, they worked, but really, you know, for as much effort as I put into making them, I could have just had more media beds. So I really sort of felt like, you know, it wasn't really worth the effort to get a, a, what I felt like was a, not quite as good a quality. So um, that's where everything kind of accumulates into, you know, my indoor system, which you guys can see on uh, AP Meds YouTube um, or Instagram. And the greenhouse system has kind of been, the, you know, the accumulation of all of those different things in which... Um, uh, I failed to learn, I guess you could say, but all, all of them really had um, different variations of issues. You know, constant height obviously doesn't have the type of air exchange in the root zone that we like to have. So there's a, you know, there's a whole plethora of ways in which that I failed and learned from. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm probably like 10 systems deep at this point. So when you're just getting started, I highly recommend like goldfish and, um, you know, just getting your hands dirty and <clears throat> finding a system that you like that maybe fits in where you're at and uh, the space that you have and fail and learn something. Awesome. Um, uh, and then what's something that maybe you guys tried that it would have worked out way better than you thought it would or an input that you tried that really made a big difference or uh, some other change that you did to your system that you're like man why the hell does i not doing that sooner labs i mean that's got to be like for me the main like that was Danny, martin you took my answer <laughs> <laughs> it was like an accident for me like i had made labs i think i found it in the 
Probiotic Farmers Association, the PFA. Uh, they have a huge group on Facebook and shout out to them. Um, uh, I learned pretty much all of my you know, original stuff from how to make labs and what their use is for, for just for putting on plants. And so I had some made up um, and I just happened to have, I was working on top of my worm bin at the time. And so I had changed the filter uh, paper out of my uh, filter. So just covered in fish shit. It was sitting on top of my worm bin because normally I just bury them in my worm bins and that that's how I just let them eat the stuff off the paper and then eventually <clears throat> it just gets sort of worked in um, and I spilled a shit ton of laps like all over the filter paper and I kind of got pissed off and was like all right you know whatever I'll deal with this later and so I came back I think it was the next day like maybe a little more than 24 hours later it was early in the day and I came back, I think the, the following evening and uh, it just had this crazy like mat over the top of it already. And it had areas where it, you know, would, you could visibly see it like reducing the amount of solids in the filter paper. And so I was like, well shit, that's what I'm trying to get rid of anyway. And started dosing it uh, into the systems and talking about it on the podcast and sharing with other people. And um, you know, now I integrate it all the time and Basically, I, I probably clean my media beds, you know, a, a tenth of what I used to um, when I didn't use labs before. It's so easy to make, it's so cheap, it's so beneficial to plant growth, and it cleans your media beds. So that's the, um, that's my story of how I accidentally got into labs in my aquaponics system, which seems like a no-brainer now. Like, yeah, of course it would break down solids. Yeah, and uh, I've, I've just, you know, follow up on what Marty says about labs, you know, that, that really has uh, served a, a pretty hardcore purpose, uh, like, really, really kind of unbelievable to see how well it works against uh, powdery mildew and uh, fungus, any kind of fungus that grows on the surface of the leaves. It really just eliminates that right off the bat. And I know I've already mentioned uh, dual root zone a couple times, but um, for, for those people that don't really know, uh, about the benefit of dual root zone, uh, you have your uh, water level that rises not quite up to the soil. And so every time that your, your, uh, your grow beds flood and drain, it exchanges the air that's in the soil zone, which really produces a, a pretty, uh, pretty fast rate of growth in my experiences. So, you know, the labs and then dual root zone uh, for me. <laughs> Uh, I gotta say, I haven't really had that much chance to go into stuff like labs and dual root zones yet. It's uh, on my to-do list, but uh, you know, for me, the biggest aha moment for my very first system was when I added heat and finally got uh, that sign of changeover of the bacteria for the nitrogen cycle. So you know. Uh, making sure that you've got the right conditions for cycling is going to be the, the biggest thing for me that really got it going. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as Fishy Buds. I haven't really uh, done a whole lot of dual root zone or anything um, as far as that stuff goes. Um, some things I obviously want to get into in the future, but haven't gotten into quite at this point. Um, and then as well, on top of that, um, 
just as he said, just making sure the cycles is going correctly is kind of key and essential, making sure that you have the proper cycle with the flow is good for the nutrients and everything. Awesome. Uh, I'll finish answering that question, then I'll introduce the, the new gentleman that just joined us. Um, uh, to me, it was the revelation of combining the uh, the soil food web methodology uh, with the aquatic food web uh, and started in, in, instead of treating it like a hydroponic system, thinking of it as like aquatic soil and, and, and you know, trying to build up a microbially biodiverse base that looks like soil uh, and under a microscope uh, and starting to think of it that way and starting to incorporate things like Korean natural farming inputs and some of these other compost teas and other things. Uh, that really was a huge breakthrough for me and really helped me solve a lot of the issues and accelerate uh, how quickly it takes to launch a system. I know a lot of times people talk about, oh, it takes six months to get your aquaponic system or three months to get your aquaponic system up and running. If you inoculate it with new, good nutrients, you can be up and running in three or four weeks with a pretty decently cycled system. Um, you don't have to have these long lag times, especially when you get to commercial operations later on outside of the home scale uh, uh, but even at the home scale, uh, you know, you can get aquarium cycling nutrients at any pet store. You know, they have, they're happy to sell them to you and they're great for your aquaponic system. Just ignore the directions, take the cap off and pour the whole thing in when you're doing a cycling an aquaponic system because you're just trying to inoculate the system with those microbes. You know, a microbe lift actually has a great one. Hey, there's, there's Scotty. Oh my gosh. Um, oh my gosh. So it looks like we got everybody uh, sorted. What's up, Scotty? Hey, hey, everybody. I'm so sorry for being late. I feel terrible. You're um, on time for a stoner, man. It's all good. One of those techniques, <laughs> man, is, you know, I'm used to being a baby to guru. But anyway, enough about me. Come on, let's catch up. What's going on, boys? Uh, we also have uh, Thomas also joined us as well. Thanks a lot for joining us, Thomas. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Let's see. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Cool. Yeah. There. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tom. Oh, hey. Uh, hey, what's hey, up? Man? Hey, how's it going? Um, hey, y'all. What's going on? This is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. So I, I uh, work at a uh, aquaponics farm in Norman, Oklahoma, um, and we're we're a commercial facility. I actually, uh, I actually didn't even mean to jump in on this. I was kind of just trying to figure out Zoom. But hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. He's gonna be uh, for a Sunday night, our, man. I have internet, all right? It's going great, man. And uh, Scotty, why don't you introduce yourself and, uh, and what you do real quick? Uh, yeah, right on. I am Scotty. Go by the name Scotty Real Online. I've been growing weed uh, in, I wouldn't, I wish basements, but in spare rooms and houses for, I don't know, 20-something years. And I tried just about every uh, setup, except for aquaponics. <laughs> but I've been, yeah, I've been growing forever. I just uh, kind of uh, started, I, I actually do the Dude Grow Show, which is a cannabis podcast. And through that, I've learned more and more how to simplify growing to the point where I got it down where it's pretty easy. Mind the bugs. And it's pretty easy to grow good weed these days, man. So that's kind of my message. And that's what I promote around the Dude Grow Show. Also a huge microbe fan. Uh, so much so that so much so that I know I don't know much about microbes compared to the uh, aquaponics community. So uh, I love listening on this stuff. And uh, his show is actually kind of an inspiration for me and Marty to start our show. Uh, 
we had a, a chance to be down on his show and we're like, man, we need to do the same thing with aquaponic cannabis uh, education and uh, really helped us get going. So thanks a lot for joining us. So do you have uh, uh, any questions you'd like to ask uh, aquaponic cannabis home growers, Scotty? Uh, you're, for me to ask the aquaponic cannabis home growers? Yeah, what would you like to know uh, about aquaponic cannabis growers uh, and you know what's different about what they do? Uh, you know what? I'd just be interested to know the, so how do you all, uh, I just kind of throw my microbes on whoever's come, you know, they outcompete each other or whoever uh, uh, likes that pH or that temperature range or that food source that particular week or month uh, gets, you know, those colonies bloom. How do you all handle microbes in aquaponics? Are you, are you the specific fish and the specific food? Are you doing that to farm specific microbes? Or how does that work? And are there bad microbes? I imagine there's ammonia and all that stuff. Uh, how do you monitor and control all that? Uh, I'm going to kind of bow out of this question because I'm really bad here. All I've added to my system for the last probably six months has been fish food. Uh, I haven't been keeping up on my tests, but uh, my plants are growing nicely and my fish don't look like they're in distress. So I haven't really been worried about that. All right, can I recant my question then? I got one that we can all hang out in. Is you, oh, I always thought of aquaponics as complicated. And, you know, you'd really, and that's kind of where my question came from. Damn, you have to farm specific microbes. And if your nitrogen gets out of order, then, you know, your fish die and vice versa. And what I'm understanding is it can be as simple as having a stock tank and a tilapia in there uh, and, and go from there. Well, kind of, I mean, it's the same type of thing as people growing cannabis. Anybody can grow cannabis, but you can grow really, really good cannabis if you take the extra time and put the extra effort in. So it's the same type of thing with aquaponics. I mean, we can have super simple systems, but to get the best yield, you're going to want to keep on top of all of that stuff with your constant checks and constant monitoring. Where do you guys think the flavor comes from? Aquaponics, uh, you know, Steve's Wheat has a very strong, uh, I like it, potent ponics, man. It has a potent flavor to it. I attribute that to, to the fish and the fish shit. Uh, any ideas of where all that flavor comes from? Is this a consumption podcast? Are we allowed to consume or? Oh, yeah, go for straight it. Straight from YouTube. All right, cool. Oh, so I have all day. <laughs> um, I mean, oh, I personally, I need it, man. for sure. Um, Marty. All right. Great to see you, man. Hey, how you doing, Scotty? I mean, for me personally, I, I think it's the microbe diversity. I think that, you know, if we look at like some of the studies that have come out in the past couple of years that show, you know, uh, the microbes populating the water column um, in ways that we didn't previously understand and ways that we see in other studies that show that plants uh, respond to um, different microbial presence, whether you're talking about in soil or whatever, in the root zone, the presence of certain microbes triggers right. terpenes and cannabinoid growth. And so uh, it's the, I feel like it's the diversity that you get in aquaponics, especially dual root zone aquaponics, where you can incorporate soil microbes in addition to um, that. And I, just to touch on what you, your original question a little bit about like breeding specific ones, I try to think of it as like engineering a system to find inoculating, but I want to at least try to have uh, a system engineered to the point where um, different microbes can develop just inside the ecosystem of 
of the system itself. And then it just gets better over time. I don't want to, I don't want to keep creating. Probably the only thing that I, I would culture separately and continue to add would be labs. That would probably be Yeah, like the facilities. Sorry, I was trying to, it seems like you can, I can either be heard well or seen well, so. You look great and you sound great. That's all I know. Does it sound okay? Can you hear me yeah. okay? Yeah, that's all right. You're good. Okay. It's a good looking joint too. Nice work. <laughs> nice work. Since we're bullshitting, I don't use labs and I've always heard really good things. I don't know. What's, why would I use lactobacillus, man? What is that? What's the benefit? So it's a palatative macro, microbe, which means that it's, can exist in aerobic or anaerobic environments. So it's pretty, uh, has a wide application. People already use it for a lot of different stuff. So it's, um, it's great for plant growth. It's great for um, outcompeting the microbes that you don't want. So it's specifically, uh, because it is calculative, it prefers to reproduce in anaerobic areas, which you generally want to get rid of. So the fact that they'll seek out so they'll, they'll move through an aerobic environment looking for an anaerobic environment, break down those areas by reproducing and populating in them and ultimately helping eliminate them. So whether you're talking about like a, a hydro grove or soil groves or anything, they, they can play a, a great role in just um, keeping your, um, in outcompeting all of the microbes that you don't want. So whereas like, in traditional hydro, a lot of times you're trying to like basically sterilize everything, right? Like you want, you're cleaning out your reservoir on a regular basis and you're trying to keep everything nice and clean and all the time so microbes don't grow. Whereas in aquaponics, you're trying to nurture that growth out and out compete anything bad so you don't get things like root rot. So right. those things come out more when you have less air in your, in your root zone. So that's why I'm a big that's why I like siphon systems. They're always filling and draining. So you have that. Yeah, and then uh, Steve had actually asked us a question earlier uh, that me and Marty both answered, uh, lactobacillus, uh, something about uh, what was one of the things that we have done that has had the most success. And another another thing that I've really noticed is it really kills the shit out of powdery mildew, like on the, on the spot. So there's that too. Is that, all right. I mean, that sounds like too good to be true. What's, but the residue or what's what's going on with that? That sounds like that's a problem everybody has, bro. The uh, the other thing I wanted to add to it that I don't think anybody touched on with lactobacillus is, especially if you have a diverse range of different lactobacillus species, it provides a lot of different vitamin B as a byproduct, which is a growth accelerator for the plants. So it can help the plants grow faster and heal faster as well uh, from damage. Hey, I got an aquaponics question, man. Can you incorporate aquaponics in your regular grow? Does it have to be strict? Like, can I have take the fish, you know, the from I have a stock tank out front and I've got some fish in it. Can I just take some of that water, it's fresh water, and just pour it on my plants? And if so, am I going to really see any benefit from it? Can you be like a part time aquaponics guy? Yeah, man. What you're describing is basically decoupled aquaponics. It's totally a thing that people do. Yeah, we've had uh, someone, uh, if you guys check out uh, some of the talks yesterday, we had some different side-by-sides with compost and compost plus fish water uh doing just those types of tests with with uh, onions uh, 
there's uh, definitely a lot of people that are even in the soil realm that are using it to enhance their soil. Uh, and, and a great way for aquaculture facilities to, you know, not have that waste go down the drain, but be able to monetize it and help, you know, build good organic soils that are even more biodiverse than they would be with just terrestrial microbes alone. Wait, what's it have in it? Does it have any NPK steak and potatoes or is it just microbes like fish poop? You know, whatever's coming out of your stock tank. Is what you're, you know, if you wanted to break it down to an NPK, you know, I would say both. It's pretty much the NPK of fish food, which is going to work out to like a 511 or, you know, 5.51 or something like that. Primarily nitrogen, very little phosphorus and potassium. And you're on, you know, going to be missing some other stuff too, like iron is probably the one that, you know, is going to pretty much pop up regardless of, unless you have like significantly high amounts of available iron in your well water, um, you're probably going to run out of those in the closed loop system eventually. Well so what else do y'all need to add if we're doing aquaponics uh do you guys need y'all need to add supplements so yes. i've always had to add iron for sure that that's always been one of the main things that i've always had to supplement and that uh that really balances out my system pretty well and that's i mean that and what is where do you get iron from by the way Sorry, I'm gonna fix my. Um, uh, what is what is the guy? Uh, Steve knows the guy. I can't remember. I think his name is Roger. He's from Texas, isn't he, Steve? That he sells. Yeah, yeah. Roger. Uh, he sells. He sells a couple different forms of iron. That's uh, gonna be uh, you purchase whichever one that you need, and it's gonna be based on what your pH of your system normally runs on, and uh, that really keeps your uh, your nitrogen. Uh, uptake and all that type of stuff really in check really well sorry um, i get i get a roger at true aquaponics is uh, quite a few different options available uh, we also have uh, stuff with cannabis dosing over at uh, apmjnutes.com uh, if you guys are looking for uh, stuff that has the uh, cannabis appropriate dosing on that instead go ahead Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off. Don't, don't mind me, man. I, I'm the guy that's always hogging the conversation, so I'm trying to shut up. Oh, no, no. That's why we like like having you. <laughs> it's not what everybody says. <laughs> hey, guys, will you give me just a minute? I'm going to try to work on my, I'm going to set my video up a bit better. My main sure. camera. Yeah, man, no worries. Um, so okay. what, mate, what questions do the panelists have uh, for some of the other home growers? Uh, we'd love to have hear from questions maybe that you guys have for some of the other maybe problems that you guys would like to have an answer to from some of the other panelists. So uh, Doug from Aquaponics Cannabis, how has dual root, or not dual root zone, I'm sorry, the, uh, you said you do deep water culture, right? Uh, how, right. how has that done for you? Um, so right now I have it currently, I have three 27 gallon totes set up um, and each one has uh, two six inch net pots in it with obviously a grow media. I prefer to use uh, pea gravel um, when I do my, for my grow bet, for my grow media in there. Um, and then basically uh, I have two air stones that go under each, each one and then I'm constantly cycling the water right fill um through my uh bio filter and then right into each one of the 27 27 gallon totes in a line um and then it drains right back in uh, fresh clean water right back into the system um 
as far as the DWC that I have set up currently. Um, so far, it's been working amazing. I've noticed uh, a lot faster growth um, over time than what I had um, with my Dutch bucket setup. Um, so I'm still playing with it, still testing things out. Um, obviously, I have to monitor each 27 gallon totes uh, water on top of the fish's water. So that's something that I've noticed is a little bit of a headache, but um, normally they're not even off by maybe a little bit, but otherwise they've been doing fantastic. Anybody else have a question uh, for the other panelists? Hey, am I, am I, was my technical difficulties okay? You able to hear me? Yeah, we can hear you fine. What, tell me about, I heard DWC, uh, deep water culture, and how's that working with, with uh, aquaponics? I'm kind of interested in that. And uh, is it passive? Is it active? Are you using, you know, a lot of bubbles? I don't know. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that works? How you having success with it? Yeah. So, um, so I have it set up as a constant flow rate. So it's always cycling 24 seven. Um, so basically I have uh, three different lines set up for each 27 gallon tote. Um, I have it set up at a higher pressure or higher PSI for my pump. So as it's going, it's blasting the air the water in which causes the bubbles obviously and then i have uh two air stones under each under or i have one air stone under each single pot um so that way each pot has its own oxygen um so that way it's always bubbling right there for them um and then it just cycles back through and it's a constant cycle loop so um the only thing that i that i worry about is obviously if something goes wrong in one of the totes it could go wrong in all the totes um, so I always monitor each toad individually on top of uh, the, the fish, uh, the water from the fish. That makes sense. And on a scale from one to 10, how, how hard is it to maintain? Uh, I would say I would give it like a, like a four or five, four or five, just because of uh, the constant monitoring of the, the water in each toad is kind of, it can be a little hectic for some people and a little time consuming if you don't have the time to check it. Um, but otherwise, it's not too complicated to set up. It's just like a traditional DWC. Um, I just have it set up to where it's a constant flow. So it's always going to have a current going through it. It's always going to be constantly feeding new water with constant oxygen. So that way, the plant and the roots have uh, constant oxygen for the most part. Beautiful. How long have you been running it? You got it dialed in? Um, so I've been running it for about four months, five, uh, about five months now. Um, I would say I have it pretty dialed in. Um, there's not too much of a difference between each toad is about the same parts right. per million for a lot of the stuff. Um, and then it matches up fairly close to the actual tank itself. So I have it pretty dialed in as of right now. So um, this is obviously my first grow on it um, that I have going right now. And then hopefully by my next grow, I, sh I shouldn't have to mess with any of the levels at all, just monitoring them. And, and you oh, said you've done, other, um, you've done DWC before, like traditional hydro DWC? Is that what no, you're no, I've not done traditional DWC for hydro. Um, uh, I just, it, it's set up just like a traditional DWC system would be set up. Okay, gotcha. So is it, this is your first time growing at all then? Uh, no, so not my first time growing at all, just first time growing with a DWC type setup. 
what made you decide to take the leap in aquaponics? Um, well, so I've always been really big into fish, um, obviously. Um, that's been a big part of it. And then obviously I was just doing some research and I came across something one day and it was like the next revolutionary future that's gonna save the world or something like that. It really dragged me in and I was like, oh, what is this? And then I went down the wormhole figuring out what aquaponics was, um, really went down the wormhole, like looking at like the commercial grows that people have set up, um, Potnik's going through his stuff um, back in the day. Um, and just kind of really immersing myself in it and trying to figure out as much as I possibly can with already knowing how to fish, do all that type of stuff, and just seeing um, basically how I can do it in a more organic way that's going to be uh, a lot better, more beneficial. And then you can do it at a smaller scale all the way up to a large scale um, and not have to really worry about too many differences between besides just monitoring levels and everything. So I thought it was just a, a great setup. and. I liked how it was mostly organic and that there wasn't too much to it um, when it came down to it. Have you have you grown other ways? Um, I have done soil. Um, I've done soil in the past, uh, mostly cocoa when I did do soil. Um, but yeah, I just didn't do a whole lot with, with soil besides just obviously growing in soil. Didn't really get into it that much um, just sure. because aquaponics really caught my attention. I'm just, I was just asking because I want to know, you know, it's all about quality and flavor. I know when I hook up with Steve, he's got amazingly flavorful weed. Do you, do you find it a different quality of your end product? And I guess that's a question for all you aquaponics growers, but are you, you, you know, you know, fine putting it up against any kind of. It's centered around water that comes from the aquaponics system. So we're feeding, um, you know, all that fish shit to all of our soil plants and what we've seen and what we've noticed is that, you know, I can have a clone of one, one strain in a media bed right next to the same clone in soil, you know, being fed that fish shit and all that good stuff. And in the media bed, that's just the fish shit will have a, a higher concentration of terpenes. And then in the soil, it won't have as much of a concentration. You know, the percentage will be a little bit lower, but the diversity of terpenes is more prevalent, which is kind of interesting. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just thinking to myself about some of the, thinking about myself about Steve's weed, man. Well, um, thanks yeah. everybody uh, for joining us for the Homegrown Growers Panel. Um, we have, uh, next up, we'll have the Craft Growers Panel uh, 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 momentarily, uh, but why don't we uh, give everybody a chance to um, tell everybody how they can find out more about their growing uh, and their different grow methods. Um, uh, why don't we start with fishy butts? Uh, I'm just on Instagram, so uh, feel free to follow me at fishy buds. Awesome. What about you, Aquaparks Cannabis? Um, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram as well. Um, Aquaponics Cannabis is my name <laughs> on Instagram. Um, and then I also am on TikTok as well, but uh, TikTok doesn't really like me a whole lot, so I haven't been able to post a whole lot because every time it gets taken down. So that's just one of those things. But I'm aquaponics cannabis on both. What about you? What about you, Brain Grow? So I got I got some videos on YouTube that they're pretty old by this point, but um, uh, you can always go check those out. I guess you know that's that's an option. But uh, mostly you can find me on Instagram with these guys. 
Uh, it's going to be B-R-A-Y-N-E underscore G-R-O. And I'm always posting stuff about what I'm doing usually, which is mostly more in the realm of growing mushrooms and trichocereus cacti. Awesome. And uh, Scotty, how can people find out more about you and your awesomeness? <laughs> I don't know about that, man, but I can't even use a camera. But uh, realgrowers.com is my, is my business where I do microbes. I do Real Growers Recharge. And the Dude Grow Show is uh, where I love to hang out and learn in public how to grow really good weed. So Steve's over there hanging out and helped me out with the aquaponics questions. So if you want to check it out, it's at dudegrows.com, at dudegrows on Instagram. How about that? And, uh, and Recharge is great, too, for cycling your new aquaponic systems to get all those uh, cycling bacteria. It works really awesome for that. Uh, we use it know, regularly, yeah. and uh, Scotty actually has donated some to different schools we've worked with out in California and other stuff. So, shout out to Scotty and all the other uh, stuff that he does uh, behind the scenes to to help the community uh, on the aquaponics side, especially education. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. you've been a huge asset to our community as well. So I appreciate yeah. it. And you guys are welcome to hang out for the next panel. But uh, uh, we're going to move move on. I appreciate everybody uh, coming on. Uh, we're going to move on to the craft growers panel uh, now with uh, Jordan Rivers going to be uh, helping us uh, uh, moderate this one. Uh, and uh, we're going to have Fumador uh, and uh, uh, Josh Rutherford uh, and, uh, and Thomas on the, on the panel with us uh, from, um, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, tell me the name of, I don't want to mispronounce the name of your farm. Uh, it's Little River uh, uh, Aquaponics, uh, correct? Yep. And I had a chance to go hang out and see his farm the other day, and I thought it was really awesome. And uh, all three of these guys do craft scale cannabis, you know, under, you know, 3,000 feet, 5,000 square feet. Uh, not huge grows, but enough to grow a decent amount of flower seed production. Uh, so I thought it'd be great to get them on and, uh, and have some other uh, uh, knowledgeable people on uh, to talk, talk about it. So thanks a lot, everybody, for joining us. Um, Hell yeah, man. Dude, hey, can I hang out, man? I want to hear what Josh Rutherford has to say. Hell yeah. I'm happy to have <laughs> you. All right. Sounds good, man. All right, All right, so why don't we uh, kick things off with, um, uh, why don't you tell everybody uh, a little bit about yourself there, Jordan? Uh, you're uh, taking time off of your vacation. I really much appreciate it. Oh, I couldn't miss this, man. Thanks for having me, Steve. Uh, I am out here in Hawaii. The sun just set. It was nice and bright a minute ago, but it looks like the light's going to work. But uh, we're, we're broadcasting live from Molokai, so that's pretty fun. I hope everyone can hear me okay. Awesome. Connection's pretty stable. What's up, Marty? A good hey. friend as well. Fumador, good to see you. Oh, and, yeah. and uh, Dutch Blooms as well. Amazing. Um, hi, everybody. Good evening. Uh, so happy to be here at the second annual virtual aquaponics cannabis conference. Uh, I, of course, am Jordan River, host of Growcast Podcast. Uh, again, broadcasting from Molokai. Pretty beautiful. And I'm honored, Steve, to be here hosting the Craft Grown panel with uh, several luminary uh, members, former guests and, and new faces. So really excited. We're going to discuss growing strategies and techniques at the craft grow scale, uh, as well as cultivation struggles, challenges, how to overcome those challenges, and all that fun stuff. So without further ado, let's introduce today's guests. Maybe we'll just go down the line and have you tell a little bit about yourself. Uh, we'll start with the order of my screen. But uh, let's jump right in. Should we introduce Marty as well? Or uh, what do you think, Steve? Did he already do his introductions there? It's up to Marty uh, if he wants to do it now or if you want to do it in your talk after. I never get, just never get bored of hearing about Marty. How you been, man? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm good. 
I introduce myself to the last panel and my talk's coming up next. So uh, I'll, I'll donate my time to catching us up. Fantastic. Uh, how's it going, Thomas? I'm sorry, your last name, Balin, forgive me. Balin, yeah. Good to yeah, you meet you, right. Thomas Balin. Uh, how are you? And if you could please well. tell us a little bit about yourself and your facility. Yeah, so um, we're based out of Norman, Oklahoma, uh, right in the heartland. And uh, we're an aquaponics farm. We've been around since 2014. Um, I started working there around 2015. And, uh, you know, with the owner of the place, Steve, uh, kind of took a different Steve, uh, you know, took the reins of the place and started doing vegetables commercially. Um, so, you know, 2018 rolls around, legalization passes, and naturally, you know, we moved part of our, far our farm's focus into uh, cannabis production. So our our main greenhouse, we're kind of, as someone was mentioning earlier, like a decoupled system. We have a, a bunch of living soil beds that um, we feed with the wastewater from the aquaponic system. You know, and we still do like vegetables and, and herbs, flowers, all kinds of stuff around the farm. So. Awesome, yeah. man. Big fan of the veggies. Everyone knows over at VeggieCast. Glad to have you, Thomas. Uh, let's see here. Fumador, my man, host of Fumador and the Flavors. How you been, man? Yeah, tell, everyone, uh, tell everyone what's up. What's up is uh, this conference was great. I was listening to most of it here behind the scenes. We got to listen to some absolute legends, Coot and uh, Dr. Faust and all kinds of folks. This is going to be a great panel too, I'm sure. Uh, I have my own channel. Uh, we like to have, uh, in fact, I was just describing it to Dr. Faust. I was saying it's like a pub that's frequented by all your smartest grow friends, basically. So uh, we pretty much have like, you know, Clackamas Coot comes on, Potent comes on, you know, all kinds of folks. Uh, Mr. Toad came on the other day, Lemon Hoko, stuff like that. So we have a very long form, uh, pleasant kind of low key discussion. So we, we, I, like, I like to say we like to take the weed seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously. So we get to kind of just goof off and talk for a few hours. And you'd be surprised the amount of insights that will come out and literally like the second or third hour of talking about a goofy, goofy thing. But anyway, cheers, folks. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, hope you guys uh, join my show one of these days. Cheers. Yeah, I thought I was a weed snob until Fumi busted out the weed chopsticks. Yep. I, I haven't so felt like you have to. You get an honorary pair. Well, as soon as you basically join the panel, we send you some weed chopsticks. That's how it is. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking love it. Fumador and the flavors, everybody. Cheers, Dutch yeah, Blooms, what's up, what's up, my man? How are you doing, Joshua Rutherford? Good, man. How are you guys doing? Excellent, excellent. Uh, good to see you again uh, for the introduction purposes. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you got going on. Yeah, I am. Uh, it's good to see you, Scotty. Uh, What's up, brother? Scotty actually got to come visit me. I, I want to say it was 2017, 2018. It was a while ago. A lot, like when I first got my farm man. started, like. Yeah, I would be cool yeah. just for you to, to give you a little tour of uh, what's going on now because it's it's been a lot of hard work and a lot of stuff. So I, I have a, a, a commercial grow in Washington State. Um, it's just me, and I kind of started out trying to trying to grow for for you know to put product to market and realize that wasn't my my niche. And so now I'm a, a breeder, and I just kind of work through genetics. Um, I grow um, in living soil and I use aquaponics, um, aquaponic water uh, remineralized or fish poop remineralized um, in my systems. And um, yeah, so I, I grow outdoor and greenhouse and indoor and kind of mix it all up. And I also put on a conference and teach folks that I bring in speakers that teach folks uh, about regenerative cannabis. So stoked to be, be a part of this wonderful group. Sweet man, got the packs going. I saw Marty just held one up there. Yeah, Sick. yeah, love yep. that you're breeding. Yeah. 
Awesome. And then I can't leave out. Sweet. And of course, can't leave out Scotty. We've never met before, man. Good to officially meet you here. I know you had spoken to my producer at Rob uh, in, in the past, but uh, how's it going, man? Yeah, it's good man. to meet you. It is great, man. I'm sorry I'm so slack. I normally rely on my producer guru to uh, <laughs> to keep everything running. But Dude, yeah, great to, great to be here, man. I uh, I just got to say before we get started, I, I've, you know, talked about it on the show. Love the Recharge, man. Love what you're doing with Recharge. Keep, keep up the so great much, wonderful man. product. Great blend you have there. Thank you so much. You know, I, I appreciate that. That was that was a blessing for me in my life. Yeah, cool, it man. really was. Glad to have you here on the panel, man. Thanks, um, I'm, I'm gonna shut up and listen, man. <laughs> um, we're not here just to talk about microbes, of course. We are here to talk about that and much more. Uh, craft level aquaponics growing. So again, what I really wanna focus on are some of the techniques that you guys use at your scale and with your designs, uh, the highest leverage techniques, and then also some of the challenges that you face and how you overcome them. Uh, maybe I'll just kind of bounce around a little bit question to question. Um, but let's go with Marty first. First of all, what type of design are you running with your uh, aquaponic system, if you just don't mind reminding people? Sure, I do, um, <clears throat> I do all uh, media beds with two root zone pots. Um, so right now the indoor has more long style uh, trough uh, media beds and the greenhouse is a little bit larger and deeper beds uh, for larger um, plants. Uh, so the Indoor has uh, five gallon pots. The outdoor has 15 gallon dual root zone pots. Um, they both have, you know, somewhere between six to 800 gallons of water uh, at any particular time. Um, <coughs> and uh, fairly low stocking density with koi. And um, that's been sort of the accumulation of a number of different systems I built along the way. Um, so uh, they all have external siphons. So the indoor has four beds, uh, one siphon per two beds. So there's two siphons on there. And then the outdoor, each bed has its own siphon that runs independently and they all have water input. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the basic setup. So is this a design that you had worked on other ones and kind of settled on as optimal or is this the first aquaponic design that you started with? No, it's probably like my, 10th different system. I built a number of them over probably eight years or so. And so, you know, I did, um, you know, timers and different uh, things along the way. So just like accumulation of different stuff. Um, you know, like I learned how to make the, the um, loop siphons or U siphons um, and underset siphon systems. And then, you know, sort of built that out the space. I had to move, you know, regulation sort of kicked me out of my spot. <laughs> you had to had to build again. So some of that is just readapting to the space that I'm in, but mostly it's just uh, an accumulation of everything I learned along the way. If you had to single out one thing as the biggest game changer for that system that you currently have installed, maybe if you could go back to yourself, you know, like X amount of years ago mm -hmm. and kick yourself in the butt and change one thing, what do you think would be the, the biggest um, fa factor in the success of your current system? I think uh, probably the, you know, the, the main thing I would say would be uh, siphon systems, like having the water fluctuation in the bed as opposed to um, like a constant height or um, any way that you can achieve as, as many, you know, sort of diaphragm actions for that water to push air out and pull fresh air in um, when it goes back out. That, that would have been, I guess, getting over my initial fear of working with siphons 
Yeah, because I think I tried timers and constant flow systems before I went to siphons in the um, probably, you know, the only, uh, probably the, the most drastic difference in growth rate in the health of plants was implementing a siphon system. Interesting, interesting. That siphon system, for a lay person like me, again, designed to keep the system clean, designed to keep the system oxygenated, that sort of thing? Yeah, so it means that the, the media beds are always filling up to a point and then draining out and filling up and draining out as opposed to a constant height where the water is just filling up to an overflow and is constantly has water left in the bottom. So that action of the water dropping down and moving back up creates a diaphragm that forces air in and out of the root zone of your plant. So it constantly gives about pressure. I would like to talk about that for a second. I've been trying to solve that problem with my hempy buckets or the a dual root zone bucket. And I find that if I'm, you know, kind of trying to find a super simple way to, to leave my plants alone for a few days. So I try to hook them up to like a controller unit, almost like uh, if you remember the water farm systems, but a, a, keep a constant level in, in the buckets. And I notice performance goes way down when you have the, the, what are you calling it? The siphoning as to where it's going up and down. Yeah. Uh, even just in the course of a day, I find that it's a huge performance. I don't know if it's the air gap changing, and I'd love to try to learn from y'all. Yeah, I think it's definitely that action that we we're just talking about. I've even found that the more often that you can, you know, the faster they fill and drain. So having a well-tuned siphon that starts and stops relatively quickly, because there's actually a pretty wide range of, you know, your, your siphon could trickle on and take a long time to start or it could have a ton of pressure, almost too much input, and it take sort of sputters at the end and take a long time to turn off. So either, either one of those extends the amount of time it takes for your siphon, your total cycle to go. So right now on my indoor beds and my outdoor beds both, I try to shoot for you know less than 10 minutes on a full fill and drain all the way. Wow. Um, I find that to be the best. Oh, so it's like a constantly rising, ebbing and flowing sort of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is fascinating. It's not something that I imagined when I thought of um, aquaponic growth. Um, something that I want to ask, I think everyone on this panel, what type of microbes are you utilizing? And um, follow-up question, what type of concerns do you have integrating those with the fish? Marty? <laughs> I wanted to, sorry, just to be clear, I was going to ask you and then, and then also ask everyone on the panel. Okay. So that would be, yeah. <laughs> um, so the microbes that I, I specifically add in are, would be labs. I have messed around with some other inoculants um, from T-Lab. Uh, shout out to them in Arcata. Um, they make a variety of different um, inoculants that you can sort of brew into tea and then add in. So uh, horsetail and stinging nettle. Uh, ferment. So I try to, I try to add both nutrients and microbes at the same time by doing ferments. Most of the time, um, I feed my fish Bokashi brand um, about twice a week or so. So not uh, not full on all the time. Like that's their only food input. Um, but I do feed them that. Where I don't feed them anything else that day. Uh, they love to eat it, and it just helps keep um, all of those. Uh, healthy microbes in the system all the time. So those are the only things that, that where I would add microbes specifically. I have used in the past 
um, and had good success with it. I just have never done it again. Uh, there's a company here actually in the Rogue Valley called NPK Systems that make, uh, and he's been on the podcast before as well, but um, they make specific veg and bloom mixes of inoculants that are just dry powder you can mix into your, you, know, you can, uh, I mix them into my dual root zone and then water them in, which has been my preference for um, inoculating uh, anything I want to go to be a soil microbe which most of your inoculants on the market these days are for soil. So those I try to make sure I go right into the dual root zone. But labs, I always make sure to get some of them directly into the media bed, so I'll break down solids. And then the Bokashi brands of the fish help keep my water clarity excellent. You can, you know, if you ever have like somebody coming over for a tour, it's always good to throw some Bokashi brand in a few hours before and it'll just clear your water right up. So it's a great wow. water clarifier. Even um, if you just have a fish tank, it's great. Uh, and these these ferments, these microbial inputs, no problems with the fish. Not even concerned about too much harming the fish. I find a little goes a long way. I guess I don't I don't have I don't do anything in huge doses for one thing, and then just um, you know watching out for certain inputs like yucca, for instance. Uh, you want to make sure that you avoid because it's you know lethal to fish. So. Uh, even in small amounts. So there are a couple of inputs like that, but for the most part, uh, uh, even in your dual root zone, you could use it if you were really careful because it's designed to stay out of your water table at all times. But there's really no point in, in my opinion in using it because you have a variety of other inputs to choose from. But for the most part, anything you can use in living soil um, that's not toxic to fish, uh, you can put in your dual root zone pretty, pretty safely. Super, super cool. Um, let's bounce around here a little bit. We'll talk to Thomas next. Uh, Thomas, what's uh, what's going on, man? You mentioned your facility a second ago. Maybe you want to catch us up on uh, just quickly the type of design you're using. Then I got some questions for you. Sure. Yeah. Um, so our our system, the aquaponic system, is a uh, nine thousand gallon Nelson and Paid um, system with two deep water culture, uh, uh, like fifteen hundred gallon tanks, floating rafts. And, uh, and then we also have two um, trough style media beds uh, that we, you know, kind of put in unison with our, our living soil beds or next to them. Um, our whole facility, everything we grow is sun grown. You know, we, we use supplemental lighting, but, you know, for the most part, everything is uh, sun grown and wow. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Uh, that yeah, sun grown yeah. aquaponics has got to taste great. Um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. I mean, everything you know is even the basil, the lettuce, anything that comes out of there, it, it tastes wonderful. I'd so. imagine so. Is there anything that makes your facility particularly unique, or do you look at other aquaponics facilities and say, "Hey, we do that a little bit different"? Yeah, um, you know, to be honest, uh, I didn't really know anyone else that was doing uh, uh, aquaponics on any sort of scale. Um, we've kind of been isolated in that way. So it's been really interesting this weekend, kind of watching and listening to everyone and their experiences with it. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I feel like we're all kind of barking up the same tree in a way. Um, yeah. You're already on an island here doing the aquaponics thing, meaning that it's such a rare style to begin with. I think that's what makes it so fascinating is we see the, the field developing right before our eyes. Um, right. So that, that's really cool as somebody watching from the outside. Um, what type of fish are you using and what are you feeding them? Yeah, we're using a Nile River tilapia and then we feed them, um, 
we give them, you know, the greens that we grow in the system as, as often as we can. And then we have just an organic um, uh, fish food that we feed them as well. Um, you know, I've, I've heard over the weekend and, and talking to Steve a little bit, you know, a, a variety of different things that we could be feeding them. You know, someone mentioned giving them the fan leaves off our plants. I haven't tried anything like that yet. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we're doing. It's going to be some healthy fish. Yeah, uh, happy fish. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, microbial inputs. Are you implementing any? And, and seeing as how you grow multiple crops, I'm sure that puts you in a different position for when you're applying things like microbes, which can oftentimes very, be very plant specific. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, one of our focuses is, is we, uh, we try to eliminate waste streams as much as we can. And one of the big ones, you know, is, you know, if you're not eating them, you're ending up with a bunch of fish. Um, that just over time they, they die or whatever. Um, so we actually, we ferment those and we use that FAA in uh, like our soil regimen. That's not going back in the water. Um, I'm sure we could, I mean, you can eat the stuff. I don't know if it'd be harmful to the fish at all, but uh, you know, we use the, the fermented fish as much as we can in the garden spaces. Wow. And then um, we use a, a product from Microblife hydroponics it's just micro lift you know we use that occasionally in our our bioreactor just to make sure everything's you know functioning properly um but yeah and then you know fermented plant juices as well we use that um cool yeah man a lot of, yeah a lot of ferments it sounds like you guys use that's that's super neat and then uh the microbe life guys of course that's really cool oh they're, they're wonderful yeah they they make some pretty good products totally so. Uh, okay, let's bounce around again here, just to, for the sake of time. Uh, Fumidor, man, I didn't even know you were an aquaponics grower. How did I not know that? Not. I think just... I'm playing the role of uh, devil's advocate tonight, basically. <laughs> no, I think oh, uh, you snuck in. I think I'm the outsider looking in. Yeah, man, I snuck in. I don't know. Someone <laughs> left the door open and I got in. But I'm fascinated by this stuff, candidly. You know, when I hear this, uh, you were talking about outsiders looking in, and I was thinking, oh, what am I going to talk about this? And actually, that's that's kind of my, I don't know, my, my interest in aquaponics, honestly, is... Um, academic honestly you know i'm curious about it basically more than anything because i'm not actively growing and i'm not planning to actively grow aquaponically right now but i'm honestly really curious about it every time i hear paul stamets talk about and a lot of people here talk you know they know paul stamets if you don't know paul stamets he's the mushroom guy right he's he, he does a whole lot of uh, legal mushroom stuff with you know edible mushrooms and everything but he talks about psychedelic mushrooms he's been on joe rogan and everything else and when you dig into some of the stuff he talks about, and it's legit what he talks about, he talks about stuff like colonizing asteroids with oyster mushrooms. And when you first hear that, if I say that now, you think to yourself, you know, Fumidor, this guy that's on his show is, is a lunatic. But you actually go and talk about it. There's an article in Scientific American, I think, from last month where they're talking to Paul Stamets about literally colonizing asteroids with oyster mushrooms and other things. And I think to myself, like, things like this ever ebbing and flowing uh, dual root zone that um, our, Marty and Steve talk about, that's the kind of stuff that they're going to have on space stations and on Mars. You know, the antiquated aquaponics didn't really work well, very well, you know, like the tomatoes and everything else. People remember eating that stuff at, at Disneyland or whatever, it tasted like paper. But this stuff, the, the weed smokes like weed, the food smoke, you know, it, it eats like food, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's legit. And it, it's just, it's fascinating when I think about that. Like you said, uh, uh, Marty was talking about this ever ebbing and flowing tide in that that dual root zone. That's kind of the difference between. That's why I'm most fascinated by this kind of stuff, and I'm always rapturously curious to listen to, you know, Marty talk. Like, he doesn't grow anything like I grow, you know, but I'm curious to hear how he talks. So anyway, I'll stop babbling, but I'm very curious about the kind of stuff. Cheers. No, no, man, absolutely love it. In, in fact, uh, I also just want to shout out your your breeding work, of course. One thing that's Thank really you. cool to see 
you know, you hooking up with these guys and you must love this is that you get to breed, yeah. you know, in, in uh, work in the medium you're working with. And then you give mm. these guys and you see what they get to do in an aquaponic setting. I know that's exciting to see it in any other setting, let alone, you know, Steve Raisner's or Marty's It's the only, uh, you know, everyone, uh, how do I say this? You only really do something because I think most people do something because they think it's the best way to do things. You know, like people that buy Chevys, they think Chevys are the best. I don't buy a Chevy, but you know what I mean? Like people basically think they're doing something the best. I think that the system that I work is the best way that I could run. I don't think there's somebody else doing something better. Of course, I think that way because I'm doing it that way, right? Otherwise, I'd change it. But there's one system that I think probably could add yield and flavor and it is basically this dual root zone aquaponics because there's just this basically i'm running essentially modified coots mix i guess to avoid the suspense but i think adding that whole level of the uh, like aquatic microbes because life evolved first in the ocean literally in water i think that just adds so much potentially to the whole uh, ball game it makes it very interesting anyway that's true man love it uh dutch blooms oh go ahead so someone want to jump in there I heard something. Yeah, I was just gonna ask, man. If you, what's up, Chibador? By the way, man, it's great to see you, brother. Let's see, yeah, man. man. We met at the the old cannabis club, man. Cheers. And it was great, man. I've seen I've seen you on uh, on uh, bracing organics and right. stuff. I'm I'm a fan, dude. Uh, I was just going to say, Scotty, uh, a lot of people ask me uh, on, on my website. I have a website. I don't mean to shout it out because nobody's been doing that. But anyway, uh, I have a coupon code, whatever. And people ask, oh, so what's this Uncle Trip thing? And I'm like, oh, you got to know. You got to know. That's the Uncle Trip. This is the the Uncle Trip comes brother, from somebody man. that he might know, basically. That's, you know him. Yeah, well. that's, my, that's my shady brother, man. Yeah, he gets away with stuff sometimes, man. What, what are you, you going to do? Hey, but I know you grow dank as fuck weed. If you're so you got you do the coots mix, I that's some great flavor coming from all that organics. Can he incorporate any aspects of of hydro of aquaponics rather? I think so. I think you can just honestly water in the fish shit water, you know, honestly. Like every time you do an aquarium change, I think you just water that in, you know. And I, I'm 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 annoyed that I don't have aquariums right now to try it. There's no reason why he couldn't do it, you know. Dude, you live in Portland. You really just need to go down to, to Home Depot and get yourself a little, you know, fifty dollar pond and pick up a couple fish and Throw then goldfish uh, in there. Fill it up with some water, get them in there, and then all of a sudden, ten days later, you got to change that water out. That's it. There you, you go. Know? Let's do it. It is true, man. We got a stock tank, like a two hundred gallon stock tank, and put a little pond kind of aerator, and we did need some kind of sterilizer, UV sterilizer. But a, a few hundred bucks, and we had a nice, we had a big old, I think it was a tilapia, uh, but living in there, and it's kind of cool, man. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it turns out birds will steal fish. <laughs> oh, they love fish, man. Who doesn't love fish? I don't understand. I'll, I'll hear people say, like, they don't like fish. I'm like, man, you wouldn't survive in the wild. A bird will eat it. Yeah. A bear will eat it. No. Oh, right. <laughs> awesome. But God. it was easy to do. It produced a decent amount of fish waste, I guess is what I'm saying. Just a couple fish in a 200-gallon tank. You were always, you know, pulling it. Yeah, it produced a decent amount of fish shit. Marty, did you have something you wanted to throw in there? So you on mute. Oh, yeah. So just, um, I actually have, if you look at on uh, my Instagram or on my YouTube, I did um, living soil beds with Kootsmits, water with aquaponics. So feel me if you're interested, I can... I can shoot you some pics, or actually, I, I'm coming up right after this panel. You'll you'll see some pictures of it then as well. Sweet. Have you done a comparison of with and without? Do you do you find there's an added? added is it worth the extra effort? Um, to do uh, the aquaponics, yeah, yeah. I was. Well, I mean, aquaponic. You did 
Coots Mix compared to Coots Mix with aquaponics? Yeah, I mean, essentially it's the same work at that point, just because I already had an aquaponics system. So all I had to do was water it with something else. So at one right. you know, we watered with well water in, uh, you know, same, same cuts and we grew the same cut aquaponics. So I think it was Starfighter OG, if I remember right. And uh, yeah, it was better across the board, flavor, yield, you know, everything. Yeah, I bet, man. I would believe that. <laughs> yeah, Steve has me sold on that maximum, uh, maximum stimulation for that immune system. Um, Dutch Blooms. Uh, forgive me if you if you already caught us. I am very high right now. After all, um, oh, yeah. you should. You what should, what are you? <laughs> how are you growing now? How many ways have you grown? What's up with your growing strategy? Well, now? so like I think I, I've I've grown a, a lot of ways. Um, I've I've done a lot with aquaponics, and I don't right now like have a traditional aquaponics like setup where I'm doing dual root zone. But I have like four or five small aquaponics systems on my property. And I, I, I was talking earlier, what I do is I, I, I harvest the fish poop out of the filter and then I, I, I put it in a brewer and I re-brew it. And then I use that as an inoculant into my compost where I actually make another compost tea or extract out of it and, and apply those to my beds, um, which are essentially Coots mix type beds, 100%, you know, uh, when, when I started them, you know, if you will. Um, one thing that that like historically I've I've done and I just think is so fucking cool of that you know I just can't I can't say enough why I think everyone growing weed period should have some sort of small aquaponic system it can really be as simple like Scotty was saying stock tank a fucking five gallon bucket full of rocks with the holes in the bottom that you pump the water like you can be so simple just to get that nutrient exchange and it's it's like almost fucking free free nutrients that are there all the time when you have little babies um when you do cuttings like i i i forgot that i used to do this uh when i had my veggie garden in minnesota i would just have all the water flow and so at, at, at times and i i could just throw a plant here bare root stick it in a flowing water not worry about it and come back the next day and it would like be thriving because there's so much nutrient and air exchange it's actually radical and, and I, I did, I do, I, I still use this technique in funny ways in my garden. Like, for instance, I'm, I had a whole field of very small plants that I'm breeding and I'm looking at. And they were so small that they hadn't really dug in and gotten super into the ground. And I kind of started, and I, they were finished. You know, I was making selections and I, I was like, so I kind of take a, a cutting and I put, put that cutting in the cloner and I'm going to, I'm going to you know, get some roots on it and then I'm going to rebench the thing and then I want a second chance at it. So I, I, you know, typically I'll get a shovel in there and I'll kind of be really careful and then I'll repot it. And I had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of trouble with that, but I remember my old aquaponic technique and I just kind of started pulling these plants out and I'm like, fuck, I got a good solid tap root. And so I just knocked all that soil off and then I threw it in my aquaponics system, just in the, in the moving water overnight. And I knew that like just being in, in the aquaponic water overnight was going to stimulate enough nutrients and enough new root growth that I could put it then back into soil and it would, and it would regenerate and, and do that much better. And, and that's like a technique that I just learned over doing that because there's, there really is something about the, the massive oxygen uh, water exchange that's happening in, in that system. Um, and, and just you know just there's so many times that you get caught up and you're like man i just i think i could use a little more nitrogen when you got some starts or some baby plants you know there you go you just have a little bucket you can dip in 
boom, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to pH it. It's there when it, in a quick pinch, you know, Scotty was talking about when he, when he was leaving out of town, I used to do that, that dirty trick where I'd grab a saucer, you know, sit the pot in the saucer and kind of like overfill it and run out of town for a couple of days, you know, but I don't know. It's just, it's an invaluable tool and you can be as creative as you want to uh, with it in my mind. Wow. So uh, as someone who's tried all these different styles and settled on aquaponics, do you think that it's about the, and I'm sure the answer is that it's, it's an amalgam of things. It's the combination, right? But do you think that like, like you said, is it, is it about the microbial stimulation that makes this process superior? Is it about the nutrient cycling, the oxygenation? What do you, what in your opinion? It's the, it's the addition of the, for me, it's the addition of the aquatic microbes. Cause, cause I, you can, you can achieve uh, full nutrient range many ways. Um, but there's this thing that, that I don't understand that we as humans don't understand in the microbes. You asked the question earlier, what microbes? Well, we can name a few. We can talk about lactobacillus and some, some different, you know, bacilli and some even fungi, but we, there's more that we can't tell. And all I know is that my, my, my guru, Elaine Ingham, is like, it's all about diversity, baby. And so give me a little recharge. Give me a little lactobacillus. Give me a little fish poop, and I'm going to dump all that into my compost tea and let those microbes fucking shit and like do their thing and make babies and and become something diverse. Go ahead, Scotty. Well, it's just they're, they're also whichever ones are a few are going to dominate. You're going to find some that are going to dominate. They're going to like that specific pH, or they, you know, they're going to like that high salt or that low salt environment. You know, but that's why there's a whole bunch of them. Right, and so, and so maybe it, uh, next season I have a heat heat issue, or I have a a, a rain uh, incident. Right, so I have a different a diversity of microbes that are going to like and handle that that diverse experience. Is kind of the way I think about it. You know, that does so. make sense. That that does make sense. Um, I want to make sure that we stay on schedule here. We can kind of move into the problems and challenges portion as I ask you folks. In fact, I'm going to throw some out to the panel because maybe it won't be such a good idea to ask individually, but having tried different styles of cultivation, also working in the rare style of aquaponics, do you find any cultivars stand out to you in either direction? You ever run something in aquaponics and been surprised that it didn't do well? Or did you run a strain that completely got turned around in aquaponics and taken to a whole, whole new level of expression? Anyone who, who has experience can chime in. Um, I would love to hear about the strains themselves. Uh, I don't know, Thomas or Marty, if you, if anything comes to mind. As a breeder, I wish I could speak more to it, but I, I, I fortunately just haven't done that, that enough trials in, in the tube, to, you know, straight up, you know, I, I do, I've heard of from other guys that do more work, you know, breeding in both ways. And they'll be like, no, we have found ones that do a little bit better with, you know, like in more traditional, um, you know, media bed wow. systems, you know, so, but, that, but that's I, myself, I haven't been able to really identify that because I haven't done the work. That surprises me. I'd be surprised if there were strains that didn't like this type of system, but maybe I, I believe that, you know, like you said, I, I don't have that type of experience. So if someone's made that observation, um, but Thomas, do you have any uh, input? Sure. Yeah. Um, I've had a few different strains that respond, you know, all right. I think the, the higher nitrogen environment, you know, you get a lot of like etoliation and more leaf than, you know, some of these really prefer. Um, I did get turned on to some strains that came from uh, a breeder up in Southern Oregon called Massive Seeds. And uh, they're down in the Rogue Valley. Um, and they do absolutely incredible, both in the DWC and in media beds. 
And then I've noticed even, you know, we'll, we'll take those and put them in soil and in, in just the straight aquaponics medium, you know, either DWC or media, um, their resin production is much higher, their flavor is much better, um, and the structure of the plant actually is much easier to work with. You know, they don't get so branchy and it's like more thicker, you know, sturdier stalks coming out of that. Um, uh, Thomas, so. do you do dual root zone? Sorry, you might have just said that. You know, we've messed around with dual root zone a little bit. I haven't put a lot of thought and effort into it, um, mainly because we use our DWC for vegetable production primarily. Um, but yeah, most of our cannabis production with aquaponics strictly is in media. So I think that's like, you know, I, I'm pretty, con I could say pretty confidently, I think that, you know, cannabis is um, an understory plant in succession, right? As we're going from desert to forest. Yeah, yeah. And in that, it likes a fungally dominant soil. And that's why the beauty in my mind of the, of the dual root zone um, system is because you, I think that like, I, I would think specifically that if you're going into media beds, you'll find cultivars that maybe like that. And they, they're, you know, they can crank, they can take the high nitrogen, just like you say, they're bacterial dominant, but then the bulk, I think really might, they need that fungal in there, you know, component because uh -huh. that's just where they're, they're, they're from naturally, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh -huh. And, you know, we've done uh, like dual root zone, actually, we've done it both in the DWC and in the media beds. Um, in the last panel, you know, I was talking about how in soil we see uh, like a bigger diversity of terpenes as opposed to the media, we'll see more potency, but less diversity. So we're kind of trying to find that happy medium and uh, I, they definitely respond really well to that. Did you say you saw more potency in the media? More potency, but less like variety. Yeah, that makes sense because you're driving the bacterial THC dominance. And that's the same stuff that Elaine was saying. You more bacteria, more THC. Yeah. You yeah. know, and when you leave, get up into the higher carbon, higher fungal, you'll get the more diverse cannabinoids and the more diverse terpenoids. Wow. Nice. Yeah. I like it's that. really cool that that matches up for, with what you're seeing, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool, man. Cause I've, I've kind of had that observation for a while, but never really, you know, put one to the other. So. That is wild. People are always looking for ways to drive up those ancillary cannabinoids or drive up THC, two very desirable effects. Um, but Thomas, uh, what about, I mean, just to go veggie cast for a second, what about vegetables? Any vegetables? That wouldn't surprise me if you said some vegetables don't do well in an aquaponics situation, but you tell me. Oh yeah, you know, I've, I've heard uh, people have like really good success with brassicas and stuff. I'll throw some cauliflower or broccoli in there and it just turns into like the most scraggly mess I've ever seen in my life, but you know, all stretched you know, out. What's that? I'm oh, sorry, uh, all stretched out. I said, yeah, yeah, for sure. But like lettuce and basil, all these aromatic herbs we throw in there, they they really thrive. Um, you know, as we were saying earlier, you got to feed them a little uh, uh, iron in there. Um, definitely in any aquaponic system, you need that. But yeah, like definitely the lettuce, man. That's that's where it's at with those systems. Sweet, love me some lettuce, man. Get some, uh, get some iceberg going. We'll be happy. Uh, what about pests? I want to hear about pests in an aquaponic situation. And do you have to worry about double pests? Like, not only have to worry about powdery mildew, but you got to worry about like fin rot. You know what I mean? Is like, is that is that a thing? Uh, maybe maybe Tom and my fish are both sick. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Josh. I see you on mute there. I, I mean, I, you know, like I, uh, I, I, like I said, I, I don't, I haven't been running big media bed systems for 
about 10 years, but fungus gnats, you know, like if you're not, you're not getting a good coverage on your water, fungus gnats are really easy to pop up. Um, and aphids, I think, are, are a little bit easier to find a place in, a, in an aquaponics greenhouse than in a soil greenhouse. Um, just on the brassica. Aphids. aphids, regular aphids, not root aphids, but gotcha. just regular. Yeah, I would see them on my peppers, in my, on my brassicas, like really hardcore. Really? Um, yeah. Root aphids can be really hard to treat in aquaponics also, just because they, you know, it's, you know, a very friendly environment for them. And it's hard to be able to get like direct contact with them for any sort of direct contact spray. And then obviously anything that you do spray directly into your media beds is going to get in uh, to your, your fish. So that kind of you know, the number of different suffocants are sort of ruled out at that point. So I feel like you deal with a lot of the same pests, but some more challenges um, in treating them. And that there's certain things you have to avoid because then you kill all your fish, um, you know, or, or vice versa. So um, you know, all, all of the common pests you deal with in any other method of growing, but you are more limited in the ways in which you can treat them, which may, kind of just keeps you more honest, in my opinion. Um, Although what, one thing that's cool, like with those two specific, uh, to just to pop in there, like uh, one of the solutions uh, is nematodes, beneficial nematodes. And um, that while they can be challenging to apply to soil, they're very easy to apply to an aquaponic system. You just dump them in the water and, and they're in there and they move through the system. But where with a soil system, you have to really be careful to keep them in solution and moving while you're applying, especially on a larger commercial scale where you have to like, you know, move through a series of, you know, aisles and rows and whatever. Um, it can be a little challenging. They actually make a special bucket that you got to buy to a nematode bucket to keep them distributed in your, in your deal, you know, so. Elaine talks about that a lot. Yeah. That in traditional soil, you know, they pretty much are moving vertically, almost primarily, you know, they don't necessarily spread out horizontally, but in an aquaponic system, especially if you have, again, like a siphon system or a fluctuating water system where the water's going out when it fills and down the drain when it comes in, it allows them to travel a little bit more um, and populate those systems a little better and get you better coverage than you, than, you know, what you'd have to basically physically walk around and achieve the same coverage by, by literally spraying everywhere you wanted it yeah, to go. So fascinating. Go vertically in soil. That, that makes so much sense. It's a more efficient microbe delivery system in general when you talk about microbes like nematodes. Uh, th that, that makes perfect sense because, again, if you're putting it into a medium, you're worrying about it drying out, you're worrying about the direction that it moves, as you already mentioned. And then when you take a look at aquaponics, it's just circulating. I, that, I've never realized that, that it's a more effective delivery system for some of these microbes. And I just, yeah, it just, that just inspired me. If I could just pop in on this, this kind of thing that, that Steve and I had noticed in discussion in, in car time with Elaine, you know, in, in aquaponic systems, everyone uses uh, propeller driven pumps to, to drive their systems. And they literally are chopping up the microbes uh, as they're moving through the water. When I talk with Elaine and we talk about making compost tea and delivering compost tea, we have very specific equipment that needs to be dialed down to under 100 PSI, 90 PSI. We use diaphragm pumps so that they're not chopping the biology. Uh, but in an aquaponic system, it has such, so much bi biology just jamming through there. It doesn't matter if you're slicing and dicing them. Uh, it's kind of the theory and where we've gone to just to just kind of emphasize your point, you know, that it's such a good delivery system of, of the biology that you can literally be, be killing them 
with the pump, you know, that you're using to move the water and it's still good, you know? Jeez. It's, it's a wild, again, as someone who is a lay person grower, like I, aquaponics is all wizardry to me. That's why I'm moderator of this panel and not on, you know what I mean? It's uh, it's all wizardry to me, but I, I love, I absolutely love hearing about it. Uh, I don't want to leave, you kind of alluded to it, Dutch Blooms, um, but maybe we can tap back on it. You're talking about microbial inputs and what you use. Brood fish poop sounds like your main thing. Are you using any like uh, store-bought formulated microbial inputs that, that you'd like to? None. Uh, I'm not, not, I guess not, not really. I mean, you, you I'm, said I'm, labs, you said this all homebrew. I, I, so I'm, I've been formulating my own that you yeah. could buy on my store. So, I mean, I, but they're not store bought. <laughs> yeah. So I've been fucking around with some shit and uh, we just dropped some, some products. Um, so like, yeah, I, I didn't want to like, you know, be that sales pitchy, but yeah, I do fuck around with some, some lactobacillus and some, aloe powder and coconut uh, coconut powder coconut sugar peruvian cacao matcha we're doing some stuff like that um in a saponin tea but um yeah the That's bulk cool. of my microbes are are uh in my compost and so you know uh like i said i will i will use the the fish poop to make it but then every time i i make a new compost pile i also take the brew from the i take the last compost pile make a brew and inoculate it with that that biology so i'm kind of like like a sourdough starter you know keeping the keeping the groove going fuck yeah love it i love it man um feel me uh formulated microbe inputs what are you using in your uh, i'm i'm la you don't want to know what i'm laughing about in the chat you're, you're, uh, no yeah, so yeah, i don't actually use the uh, chat dude you're making me laugh <laughs> uh, i don't use uh formulated microbe inputs so i'll play again as i'll play the role of devil's advocate basically not intentionally, but I guess uh, everybody has to have a freaking, uh, every elbow has a sharp corner or something. I don't know. Uh, basically, I like to use good uh, worm compost pretty much. And so, or verm, uh, vermicompost, I guess you'd say. I guess I'm a little bit high right now. Uh, so uh, I'm lucky. Uh, in, in the neighborhood, basically, uh, Clackamas Coot always talks about this. There's this one guy. There's a few around the country, but there's a few really good uh, vermicompost uh, producers. There's this one up here. Um, Northwest Redworms is the one that I happen to use. Uh, you can basically go there and it's like a grocery store. You can walk in and, you know, buy some tomatoes. You can basically go up to him and in my, in my case, you know, get a few buckets, basically. That's all you really need. Uh, vermicompost and uh, mix it into your uh, soil or mix it into your soilless mix and create something that has something approaching like an actual... I guess some rhyming soul or something. I don't know. Basically, it becomes a, a, a form of a soil uh, that is filled with things that uh, science has yet to quantify. Uh, many of those microbes uh, uh, can't be cultured on a on a slide. Uh, they haven't been identified by any particular uh, microbiologist. I mean, there's all kinds of critters. There's uh, what do you even call them now? I don't even know. There's all the different trophic layers, right? The little teeny tiny, I mean, obviously viruses and bacteria and nematodes and archaea and so on, but then all the other critters that eat them, all the nematodes and everything else. I mean, I don't even know that all the nematodes have been quantified in good uh, worm castings. So long story short, I think literally adding a good, let's say bucket of worm castings onto your grow, wherever it is, that is just an order of magnitude more microbes, I would say, than an equivalent amount of literally anything else. Uh, uh, and I think the, those are the those are the things that are endemic to the environment. So if you wanted to, what's the metaphor? I don't know. Uh, if you wanted plants that are going to live hardly in your yard without watering, you'd want native plants, right? And so you'd want, if you want something that's going to live with your soil or live with your plants, you'd want microbes that basically live in soil, vermicompost, you know what I mean? So I feel like it's just a, a, a I don't know, it's the obvious choice, I feel like, but it's the choice that a lot of people don't 
shoes for I don't even know what reason. You know, it's it's right in front of you, like it's in the soil. I don't know. Love it. Anyway, so you were applying these. You were applying I the thermal compost. Sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Scotty. I, I just said I second castings. I I use super boring cocoa, and pretty much the only trick I have is throwing some castings in there, man. And I do notice a little bit of fresh top dressing or good quality earthworm castings makes a huge difference man so it's like garlic powder you know you throw it if you're gonna throw in one thing that's it people wonder what's that extra flavor and you might not want to tell them it's garlic (laughs) and also butter Butter. um do you uh, do you uh brew it though fumi or do you just throw it in with your mixed top anymore uh i used to honestly i used to do teas and and frankly i I don't have a problem with teas i used to have really good luck with teas but uh, i have just honestly uh I don't know. I succumb to the whole simplicity method. You know, he, he basically cuts things away like a knife and just, why is this complicated thing there? Why is that complicated thing there? Once you cut it away, you realize it was there for no reason. Uh, why not just add it to the dirt? Like if you want it on the dirt, why not just literally put it on the dirt? Like what, how could I possibly be a better tea brewer to somehow out evolve, uh, 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 how do I say this out evolve the micro, uh, microbial evolution? How do I say this? How could I possibly out-evolve evolution, basically is what I'm trying to say. So if I want to brew microbes, I want them to just live in the soil, you know? Love it. And That's probably in the aquaponic right. system, you want your system set up well enough to just allow them to continue breeding. It's not right. like you want them to just, you know, if they're dying off and you have to add back ni- microbes to reestablish your, uh, your nitrification on a consistent basis, then you have a system problem. Like somewhere mm-hmm. your design's not working because otherwise it, it we you want it to be sustainable mm-hmm. that that that's the tr- true of any living system a soil system um and that's why i kind of eat challenge like you know not to be a total dick but kind of uh just for discussion's sake uh challenge like you know the concept of living soil and containers um just because it, it, it has a limit it's not infinite uh and in, in it's a you know abundance um it, it it's a container. There's, there's a, it will run out of nutrients. Right. That make the I see what you're saying. The limitations that that provides. Go ahead. What would you think limited size, you know, the size limitation, the smallest you would go, just a bed, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, I've done it in beds. I've done it, done pots and stuff. You know, that's, it's not that it's, I'm not saying it's not doable. I'm just saying that like, it's, it's a, it's a limited deal and, and, and you run into problems and you have to keep adding, and in 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 a in a true like living soil connected to the earth, um, I, I I I've I've witnessed, and I also kind of like want to wave the flag like, hey, we got to get to this point where we don't need to be adding any more shit, you know, or very very little shit. Like it's not like I'm feeding every week my living soil bed. Like I, I would be, it doesn't need that, you know. You're you're gonna have run into issues, right? You know that's why I, I use the, even the terminology inoculant. You know, I hope that I'm not having to come back. You know, it's, usually it's because I messed something up or I've inoculated with the wrong thing. And I'm, you know what I mean? I'm kind of fumbling. <clears throat> We're all kind of fumbling our way through this, you know? You so know. so are, the, the benefits of living soil uh, have a point of diminishing returns when you have- Living soil, aquaponics, of- I, I, you know, our, our, our human biome, that's, you know, that's, that's what I'm kind of- I see what you're saying with when it comes to get the container size, though, there seems to be a point of diminishing return with those benefits. You talk about the nutrient cycling, you talk about the these things that occur require a larger volume to uh, to operate at their highest capacity. 
Yeah, because you know you'll see um, at different times of the year if you go if you just you know go outside if you, we all have gardens you know or some sort of like garden system around you know you'll notice you dig in the ground in the winter there's worms there and then some other parts of the year when it's dry they retreat like things change you know hard to replicate in a bro in a, in a grow tent i almost said bro tent it's even harder to replicate in a bro tent uh it's yeah ex it's extremely difficult <laughs> uh new partner of growcast is a bro tent bro tent bro .com. don't don't buy them uh we're going to move on to the uh listener i was questions, just wondering right? earlier today yeah. if there's a such thing as a brocebo and i looked it up apparently there is a brocebo so <laughs> like a bro placebo <laughs> i think someone slipped me a brocebo earlier because i'm having trouble with my pronunciation i wanted to slip one quick question in uh, um, we have, uh since we have a couple oh, of here um uh what i think all of you guys now have done some breeding uh uh or lots of breeding at the scale that you're at in case of some of you guys. Um, tell uh, any advice for people that are just getting started or trying to get into the, the kind of level that you guys are operating at breeding wise. I'll start off because I'm not all that big of a breeder. I just uh, recently started as a kind of a professional one. I've only been doing it really for a couple of years. I would say just do it, honestly. Just if you have a, a passion for uh, uh, something, anything, really. I hear it from all kinds of people. I'd love to blah, 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 blah. There's probably no easier time uh, these days for people to get into all kinds of different stuff, you know, and something like cannabis breeding is actually fairly simple. And even with people that have uh, low plant counts, like you could honestly, you'll probably have to give the seeds out to friends to see anything that comes from it. But uh, even with four plants, you can find one male and three females and go to town and you now have, you know, three strains that you can hand out to your friends and do fun stuff with. And you'd be amazed the amount of joy you'll get just from popping your own seeds i've been telling people like it's just on a sincere level like when you pop something i genuinely thought that i could do something with a couple different lines and so i put them together and i lucked out that actually happened and i've been popping those seeds and now if i hadn't ever given any seeds to anybody else i would have simply enjoyed popping those i've been having a freaking riot of a time popping several different lines and so like honestly if you live in the middle of alaska or montana or something you don't know anybody else and you, somebody gave you some cannabis seeds, I'll bet you you'll have some fun knocking those together and just having some fun, you know? And, and people take it a little bit too seriously, honestly. Oh my God, I'm a cannabis breeder. It's, it's, it's just plant breeding. That's all it is. It's, it's really not that special. If you become like some famous person, okay, fine. But until then, you're just, you're just breeding cannabis seeds. That's all. So I'd say do it. That's basically it. I like that attitude. The Dutch yeah, blooms, where we're going to- I yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, that's, I'm a big, just start doing it. And then- learn along the way you know with pretty much everything i do it's my personality you know I'm, i I've, I've got seeds planted i'm and i'm reading like how do you plant seeds you know like as i'm doing the thing you know I, i'm often even cooking that way and, and having to run out in the mid, mid 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 cooking you know to get the extra ingredient but um i do think that, that that that's it's an important factor you know because you can learn and you can change and you can you know you can start again and um man it's it's just so fun to to do something and especially when you're doing it at, like with a child mind um that's kind of like that's all breeding is, is is making observation and and then you know applying those things and a child mind a fresh mind you know is really like awesome because you can observe things that like people that might not might not notice it because they've they've done it a few times before and it's not as special you know um 
so like why the heck not you know what don't you know don't don't let all that stuff get in the way like i think everyone should be making their own seeds you know um because the the just even just the the, the biological factor there um that you, they are literally you know if you if you grow two plants and you make make a cross the, the thing that will come out of that will likely be better than what you had started with because the plants are adapted and the the um the literally the 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 sorry i'm stumbling my on my words the microbes transfer all the way through uh, onto the seed and like they help the next as that seed opens they're right there available onto the root um we, we've talked with dr james white about this i should be a little bit more eloquent but um no you're 100 right man as soon as they come out man as, as soon as that radical root comes out if there's mycorrhizae there i i always use the analogy like a fungus on your finger if you get a little bit and your fingernail keeps growing well that fungus can keep up with it no problem and that's what happens if you get that little radical root uh, inoculated with just the tiniest one spore of mycorrhizae. It's it's on there, man. That's the way to do it. You're 100% right, brother. It, it fascinates me that it transfers to the next generation. I, we we have um, Jeff Lowenfels with Dr. Judith Fitzpatrick both coming on to the next episode of Growcast, and that's what they talk about nice. in Jeff's new book, Teeming with Bacteria, uh, is the, is the bir birthing process carrying over microbiology from the parent, much like humans, and how our immune systems and our gut microbiomes yep. are, are jump-started in birth. So that was one of the things he said, uh, in, in this is him saying this, that it's a bad idea to uh, treat your seeds with hydrogen peroxide because you're wiping out the last generation. So that's even drying them. And he quoted Dr. White, so that's really cool. Dr. Yeah, White. even even drying them, we, we, got, on, we got him on Future uh, Cannabis and, and I was, it was just me and him, so I got to just like, rapid fire with my dumb questions you know and then i was like so uh, ultimately like we should be leaving the the seeds inside the weed uh <laughs> you know a properly cured weed it, it's like all this the shit like how to make beer how to make compost how to dry your weed the the uh, soil moisture in your the moisture content in your soil it's all like right in that right parameter in that in that you know power band <laughs> very interesting i'm sorry i was a little distracted but we have a visitor i don't know who this cat is can you see him oh, i don't think He's cats a... can hurt you at all man yeah, he just wandered up though he wanted to attend the conference so that's right that's a strange cat that's not your pet cat that's just like a yeah, yeah this is just, he just cat. wandered on he just wandered on set so i'm yeah. sorry if i got a little distracted there for a moment now uh, you're not wanted here man now Ponix did Potentonics did. What do you say? He wants to get high. Get him high. Um, yeah, Potentonics did instruct. <laughs> uh, yeah, Razor awesome. did instruct me to uh, that, that. There's no problem going along. We'll go a couple of minutes long here, so we can make room for questions. If chat has questions, uh, now is a good time. Drop them in. Questions for panelists. Um, fire them away in chat, and then we'll begin to address them here. The first one coming from uh, Claude D. What uh, do you do to maintain the aquaponic system in an unheated greenhouse through winter? Well, that's a great question. Do you rebuild it back with fish and all after the winter? Uh, and anyone, feel free to jump in if you have uh, insight or an answer. Marty's shaking his head. He's just going. <laughs> I don't know. Who can't, can't manage to be quiet long enough for me to get on the mic. I would, that was my shut up, shake my head. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how does that how does that work if it gets cold I mean, for the fish? 
I didn't do it in a greenhouse, but in my outdoor that I used to run at my old spot before I moved, I did um, remove at least the majority of fish from it. I left a couple of goldfish in one time just to see what happened. And even with like two inches of ice on top, they still survived. And it, it, it was for like the solid week or so, it was super cold and, wow. uh, and um, didn't really do anything uh, much with them. And they, they did survive. Obviously, I don't recommend that. That's not really like a great way to go or anything. Um, but for the most part, I would empty it out. Um, and for the, the coldest part, you know, probably like, uh, you know, beginning of December all the way through like maybe mid-February or so it would be pretty empty and not really much happening in it. And then do, do a big clean out in springtime. A little spring clean, get some fish back in there, get some plants back in, start it up again. Two inches of ice though, that's, that's absolutely I have incredible. a six year, six year now going um, strawberry four by eight uh, media bed. That's There's a strawberry patch right next to my house. Um, that the only water source is uh, one of those black, you know, those black dry bins we use, you know, with the yellow toppers. It's one of those, that's the reservoir and has a pump in it. And it goes like that. Uh, in the winter, I take the fish out and, and, uh, and I just let it be. And in the summer, um, I put, put a couple of fish in there and um, it's very basic and we just get strawberries out of it. There's, there's, they get snow on there in the winter and stuff and it's, it's fine, you know. Jeez, that is very surprising well, to me. I will say, uh, if possible, try not to let wet um, hydrogen, especially freeze. It'll shatter into like this rubble that gets really hard to deal with. And it's like, it, it just kind of disintegrates when you try to move it and it's a pain in the ass to deal with. So if you, if you can either bring it, yeah, if you can bring in that hydrogen or just keep it warm enough, maybe with just like a black cover or something, you'll really save yourself a lot of headache. That is very interesting. Thomas, what do you, how do you deal with, I know in Oklahoma it gets pretty cold, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So we have, all our fish are in a climate controlled, uh, it's kind of a warehouse type building. Ah. It's a big barn. I was thinking, I mean, you know, couldn't, I'm just speculating here. You could stock, you know, like cold water fish or koi or trout or something like that. Couldn't you just put, you know, maybe like a cold frame over the, over your garden or over your, your uh, aquaponic system to keep it from freezing? Um, that's crazy. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's my first thought. Very, very interesting stuff from this uh, tent grower. Someone's jump in there or am I hearing things? Oh, I just said, yeah, you definitely could, um, you know, switch out your fish. I know some people that grow trout. There's a local place here that just grows vegetables um, in their aquaponic system. But in, uh, in the winter months, they grow trout and they, you know, basically they just keep them for one season. So, you know, they go in, they grow up to about, you know, nine, 10 months old, and then they harvest them before it gets super hot and they die off. But they restock the, the fish tank every year. Hmm. Very interesting. We, uh, we have another question here. Uh, if we can move on to Martial Artist 2012's question. Oh, this is something that uh, team member Mary Beth has, has told us uh, is a problem here. He asks, anyone know what's up with invasive Asian jumping worms? Serious issue, negative impact in the garden. I see Alabama jumpers included in that group. Now, these are these crazy jumping worms that, that fuck with the soil and disrupt the soil. Is anybody up to date on this? This is news. So Mary Beth Sanchez was on our show and this is something she said. It was, this is an invasive species. 
they're going crazy and you'll see them you can you can google videos of them too they like twitch and jump faster like an earthworm you know what an earthworm moves like but these jumping worms are are uh again invasive they're breeding like crazy and they do something very bad to the soil i'm not uh I'm not an expert as, as to soil composition and why one worm working its way through and pooping is good and another is bad. But uh, this is something that I've, I've heard and maybe we'll have Mary Beth come on and, and do a grow cast because I've, I've heard about this martial artist. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Um, and yeah, I've, I've heard that it's bad. I can't say any more, unfortunately. I wish I knew more. Now we got jumping worms. Could it get any worse? <laughs> jumping worms that don't even compost (laughs) and they're made out of titanium that's on fire we can have the ninja worms fight the murder hornets (laughs) (laughs) we got a a defense system now yeah Yeah. you know we'll just have them waste each other yes you're all compost (laughs) Um, stay tuned martial artist We'll, we'll do more on that uh, well, where's this one coming from? Rootwork LLC. How do you brew the fish waste? I think that was directed towards du- Dutch balloons, but anybody want to jump in on brewing fish waste? I, uh, I can tell you my recipe, which is you have to, you may have to adjust per size, but I use five gallons of aerobically stabilized fish waste, uh, to 95 gallons of water and, um, non-chlorinated water and then uh, add five ounces of molasses and I brew um, vigorously for 30 hours in the climate that I'm going to apply it. Uh, that, that's kind of a, a nice factor if you can hit that, you know, temperature wise and, and humidity would be nice if not in the exact same space. When you say brew, you mean aerate, right? Yeah, yeah, wherever you brew it, if you could do it in the same space that you're, you're growing in, um, that way it's the same climate and the microbes are, are getting used to and they're like, like you're not brewing outside and they're cold and you bring them in, to, in you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or they're in a hot space. Um, <clears throat> hey, can I ask, you were talking about fungal dominance before. Is the using like the fish waste, is that how and, and the different microbe uh, brews is how you get fungal dominance in your soil? Um, the fish waste doesn't, doesn't hit the fungal dominance. Uh, that's why I make compost and that's why I don't, you know, kind of rely on a, a media specific, but you, right. you, it, what I was saying was in a, in like, when I say media in terms of aquaponics, it's a media bed, like the gravel beds or the hydrogen beds. That's what we mean. Um, not like a, not like a cocoa. Um, and in that there's, there's no room for the, the fungi to live. That's why uh, Steve developed the, the dual root zone idea where he has part soil, you know, and that allows the fungi to live and have that balance. That's where I was hitting that, I think. Does that make sense? It does. All right. And uh, brew vigorously, you said. You get a big pump in there and get like an arrow mixer. Yeah, crazy. yeah. Yeah. Sounds like so, a cool t-shirt. Brew vigorously. Brew vigorously. Yeah, that would be a cool t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we did something similar in that we take our uh the waste whenever we're flushing out our our like our um baffle filters and our mineralization tanks you know we'll take that waste and uh let it settle for a little while and get the solids on top and then kind of drain off just the water on the bottom and uh we brew that with a little bit of molasses and then a little bit of worm castings for about 36 hours and we just water that straight onto the soil and put some of that in our, our media beds too. We have really good results with it. So yeah. Yeah. 
it's killing. I figured I'd also add, uh, first off, I thought somebody already made a meme about this already. I thought it was fucking great. I just wanted to show that up. <laughs> that is so... <laughs> oh. I am blaming legitimate technical issues. No, it's fine. Marty and I have had to panic without a hitch. So uh, I just thought that was hysterical. Um, uh, I like to brew the, the fish waste for uh, anywhere from three days to seven days. If it's really late in the flower, I might brew it as long as 14 days uh, to really make sure that nitrogen is completely consumed. Uh, and, and there's, you know, it's a, a mainly just that those other nutrients that I want from it. Uh, and then I'll take things like liquid IMO or even IMO2, IMO3, uh, IMO2 especially, or even IMO3 and put that in there just to inoculate that, that fish waste to help make sure it has that full food web uh, to break that fish waste down so that you're not missing anything as far as uh, mineral mineralizing that. And, and you know, just a, a, a teaspoon for a, a 500 gallon thing is perfectly fine. You're just seeding those microbes. Um, you're gonna have the aerated uh, environment anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but it does take a couple of extra days more than the 24 to 36 hours for other types of brewing because there is a lot more waste. Uh, and then when we shut, we do is we shut that off for about an hour or two so that the waste separates to the bottom and you have just that clear water at the top. And then we have a, a piece of pipe that has a, a, a adjustable thing on it if we want to adjust it up or down that has a T manifold. And if you can put a T with another set of T's and slow down that individual intake as much as possible, you'll get less waste vacuumed up from the bottom. And then you'll just get all that nice heavy mineralized water from the upper portion of it that goes out to the rest of your plants. This way you don't spread that fish waste. Then you can just top it back off with some fresh fish waste and fresh water and keep mineralizing it and keep breaking it down the same way that you would compost, you know, just doing it in a liquid form. Yeah, and just to, to, to go back and clarify, because Steve just made a lot better explanation. I wasn't talking about coming right out of the filter. So when I come out of my filter with fish, fish poop, I have a big sludge anaerobic tank that's always brewing year round, always full, just getting topped off and getting pulled off the bottom. And so it, you know, I'll, I'll top, I'll pull off, I'll top it off. I'll be adding stuff every, every week or two weeks. Um, and I'll pull off it maybe once a month, once every six, you know, um, obviously the math doesn't work there. So I end up having to slow down and, and burn some, but, um, point is it's already it's already it's already stabilized is what i'm dealing with and then i'm brewing out that stuff interesting about the nitrogen though i didn't know that up to 14 days on that brew uh steve raisner dropping knowledge as usual hey how long does it last if you're investing that much time when can you start using it and how long does it last how long can you keep that going for oh uh, so you would <clears throat> if you do those longer brews usually what we do is We'll do that, especially if I've already uh, filled that system up, or that thing up. And towards the end of the month, we'll just want to get rid of the last of that waste and that, that's left over in the system. So we'll take that and, and either set that one particular tank up as a, a long-term mineralization tank. It, usually we run them in pair, sets of three. So we can have one as a quick turn, one as a longer turn, uh, and then, you know, uh, and do it that way. So they're in one state or the other as far as the rotations go. Um, but once we run it quite a, quite a while, and we have some heavier waste in there, then we'll go ahead and do that longer breakdown. And then once that's done, we'll take that waste and put it in our worm bins and let the worms finish breaking that down the rest of the way with whatever uh, fan leaves or other trimmings or root balls or whatever else that we need to break down 
uh, and then all that can just get recycled back in. Uh, that helps us uh, make up for any soil that's consumed by the fungi and, and consumed by the rest of it. Um, typically for a vegetable system in aquaponics commercially, uh, for every 10,000, if they utilize that method, uh, for every 10,000 square feet of vegetable production, they can actually generate about 2,000 pounds of um, uh, uh, living soil every year from the uh, earthworm castings and the breakdown of just the, the leaves and normal roots that you'd pick off over the course of a, a normal commercial run. So uh, people don't often think about aquaponics as generating a lot of living soil, but it really does if you, if you set it up in the right types of ways, it can generate a ton of soil every year that you then can utilize in other parts of your farm. It's nuts, man. It's that beautiful closed loop system that everybody is so envious of. Um, we are over the time here. We wanna make sure we leave time for Marty. There's one more question. This will be perfect to end on. Eaton, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, he asks, how does stocking trout work given their migratory during spawn or is this not right? They're gonna try to swim upstream and pop out of your reservoir into your bag of soil? Or <laughs> how does that work, man? Typically trout can be pretty tricky just because they are very cold water fish. So you'd really wanna do them in a decoupled system, which we don't do as much these days. Um, and then secondarily, you'd also wanna work on um, uh, uh, the issue of uh, trout and salmonids tend to be much more sensitive to um, uh, potassium and other mineral levels. So uh, because of that, they um, uh, are not always the best choice for cannabis. And again, most trout, I mean, the hottest they can really handle is 60 degrees Fahrenheit, which is quite a bit cooler than we want for optimal cannabis growth. So they don't really match up compatibility wise, uh, whereas a, a, a pan fish or a tilapia or koi or, or uh, perch or yellow perch are another great one uh, for with a better plate price um, are, are much better fits um, uh, because of the temperature range. Just like migration. How far, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say I have that stock tank and I didn't, it's kind of worried about the fish dying. It's surprising how far, just like a tilapia uh, or a koi, can, they can go down pretty low without uh, and still surviving. No, am I wrong on that? As far as tilapia are a little more sensitive to cold weather. So around 60 degrees, if I'm not wrong, around 60 degrees, you're kind of in a dangerous spot. Um, but the koi the definitely koi, can go a little lower. Yeah, the, okay, that's what it is, man. I do remember there's, uh, yeah, I know there's some fish that'll at least withstand. When you guys say cold water, what are y'all talking about though? Cold water would be anything below about 66, uh, traditional 65 uh, for as far as fish species go or 60 i guess would be another good cutoff i wouldn't even go to 60 that would scare the shit out of me <laughs> i mean i've kept tilapia we had a, a emergency situation at, at the one facility we were at that water got down to about 54 and those tilapia were where they they weren't moving much <laughs> they're hanging out by the filter but they survived um, wow. they happy, but they lived through it. You know, the, big, yeah. the biggest issue if you have something like that with a power outage or something like that that you can't control is making sure when you do bring that temperature up that you do it slowly. If you do it quickly, you will kill them really, really fast. You'll kill them in a couple of hours. You have right. to. Or you'll, you can, in certain fish, you can even like trigger breeding practices that will make them start fighting with each other also. So, temperature fluctuation not only affects. Um, you know, their overall health and stuff, but they, they, they can trigger like catfish, for instance, they will lay eggs and if they don't have significant cover, they'll literally like fight each other to the death. 
um, over protecting the eggs or for territory, depending on if you're, you know, the male or the female. So um, definitely be aware that temperature changes and fluctuation in your water, even if like just an outdoor grill um, throughout, you know, springtime, that the, those things can come up. So if you start seeing your your catfish have all kinds of like bruises and scrapes on them, you might want to go through and check your tank and see if you can pull the eggs out that have already been been laid, even if you want to try and hatch them or whatever. But usually just to get them out of the tank so they stop fighting. Um, otherwise, they'll, they will start killing each other. Awesome. Uh, I think that answers Eaton's question uh, thoroughly. And I think that'll, should we wrap it up here, Steve? Let everyone do a little uh, sure. pluggy pluggy and then move on. Sure, yeah. Uh, we'll start off with you. I know you're, uh, you were very generous to donate your time here for us uh, while you're uh, far, far away. Um, Man, it's no problem. I'm just kicking it. Oh, thank you. Of course, yeah. Growcast. Uh, find us on Spotify. Find us on any podcast app, growcastpodcast.com. Check out membership. Uh, things are going great over there. You'll enjoy it. But uh, yeah, that's all. That's all for now. Follow us on Instagram at Growcast. Uh, yeah, that's really so great yeah. content and really good coffee too, Purity Coffee. We have some. Oh, of course. Thank you, man. Thanks for shouting out Purity Coffee. I don't just work in cannabis. The Coffee Health and Science Podcast is my other show. Um, but yeah, come check out Growcast. That's what people are here for. Check out the episodes with Steve. He's got a couple of really great shows on there. And uh, everyone on this panel is invited either on my show for the first time or back again if you have been. So so please, guys, uh, come and check us out. And thank you all, you uh, illustrious panelists. <laughs> right on, man. Right on. I'm going to take you up on that offer, brother. That sounds great, Scotty. It was cool meeting you. <laughs> it's good meeting you, man. We also <laughs> Marty have, uh... says hit me up. Of course, Marty. i got to get you on there. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Thank you, Thank Jordan. You so uh, we also have uh, Scotty. Uh, you have the Duke Road and uh, uh, all kinds of awesome stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. This is, I think this is our seventh or eighth year doing it. And we just, it's a website where we have grow questions. We do most days, we have uh, either a podcast or a YouTube show going out. And it's basically the Talk and Grow, which is, uh, uh, could be anything, any question that somebody asks. And the whole secret to that show is the talent, like uh, Potent Ponic Steve over here. Uh, everyone will be some interest, really interesting questions from growers. And then uh, a ton of really good questions or answers from other growers, man, really talented growers that donate their time. That's the DGC is that community. And I am proud. So right on, man. Go over to dogrows.com if you want to check it out or I think at this point you can just yell dude grows into your phone and pretty sure if you just think dude grows it'll show up at this point so give it a whirl man see what happens and, uh, he also makes a great mic <laughs> in your new system uh and uh, adding to your uh your soil and all that it's definitely something i've been using for a long time we we got yeah. some samples and tested them at the aquaponics source it made a big difference for us in the lab and ever since then we've been using it so uh, definitely like it. He has all different types of stuff available and uh, it works great with aquaponics and living soil and uh, even planted aquariums. So um, definitely check it out. That's awesome. You're my, you're my aquaponics tester over there. I'm like, damn, I don't, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to say things I, uh, I can't uh, uh, back up because you kill somebody's fish, man. I don't know. That's actually kill my plants, kill my fish. I'm pissed either way. <laughs> All right. Well, next up, we'll, we'll uh, 
uh, uh, tell, have Thomas tell us a little bit uh, how to find out more about Little River Aquaponics. Yeah, so uh, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Really, Instagram is a lot more active. Um, and then we have this half-assed website as well. <laughs> um, but really, uh, yeah, feel free to, you know, direct message us on Instagram or email us either way. Um, and, you know, if you're in the Oklahoma area, we, we love having visitors. Get a hold of me. Yeah, and he has an awesome facility, all kinds of living soil beds and aquaponics and uh, going on at the same time. And uh, it's really a neat place. If you're into regenerative farming, you'll really love his farm. Uh, a truly, truly neat place to, to check out. Uh, and then um, we have uh, Josh Rutherford uh, with uh, Regenerative uh, Conference and Regenerative uh, Seedco. Nice Instagram, man. I was, I was liking those photos. I'm going to have to follow you, Thomas. All right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, man. I uh, do the Science of Regenerative Cannabis Cultivation Conference. And uh, you can find, uh, there's, the, there's the page, regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. Uh, or you can find me on Instagram, Dutch underscore blooms. That's kind of the easiest way to get directly to me. But uh, check, out the, check out the site. You can also find my, uh, my seed company, uh, regenerativeseeds.com where I sell my seeds and seeds, seeds of my friends. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on, Steve. Uh, thanks uh, to, to Marty and everybody, uh, a few of me that's been uh, working hard to, to keep this thing going all weekend. And, and Marty's got the hard slot, man. He's been moderating all weekend, and now he's got to wrap it up. And uh, cheers to you, dude. And then, that's why I'm letting you guys go over. So my, my time, I have to actually talk. It's just getting smaller and smaller. Uh, Fumi, uh, why don't you tell everybody about your website? Uh, you have some awesome photography and, and uh, uh, genetics preservation kits as well. Uh, that's exactly what they're called. Yes. Uh, you know, museum quality uh, genetic preservation kits. Uh, Fumidoro.com. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Fumidoro and the Flavors is my YouTube channel. Uh, we like to have uh, a lot of... Uh, know frenzied sometimes discussions but usually pretty chill discussions honestly uh tuesdays wednesdays we have sort of different themes tuesdays i like to have a guest you know like a an intelligent you know a breeder or somebody you know somebody somebody smart you know maybe like dr faust one day uh but then wednesdays we kind of chill out we actually have game night and so on and uh, weed whiskey wednesday alternating and then saturdays we do uh well thank you for showing the website saturdays we do uh brews and buds so uh, you guys are always uh, welcome to show up and it's not like we strictly only talk about those things but uh you know the idea has always been like oh let's let's focus on uh you know, a uh, 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 beer and uh, or beer and wine and so on and buds on Saturdays, you know, kick back, relax. Uh, this is my website. I took all the photos. I bred all the seeds. I planted them, grew them. You know, what else? Uh, built the website. What else? Uh, any misspellings were mine. Uh, let's see here. What else? Uh, take a look, ladies and gentlemen, Black, uh, Black Prince Ruby. He just scrolled by. One of the, the one of my favorites, honestly, these days. Those are just my photos on there. Morgana, a friend of mine did some diamonds, took some pictures of those diamonds that smelled so good. It was GMO, like just ripping open a jar of garlic. It was crazy, like garlic gas funk. Lovely. You know, you wouldn't, th it's one of those GMO, it's one of those things you wouldn't think you'd enjoy, but you do. Anyway, uh, Morgana, ladies and gentlemen, take a look. Uh, use the coupon code, since we're still here, use the coupon code BRAINS in honor of our friend D. He's uh, a D zombie. He likes to say brains. So use the coupon code brains for 14% off. Thanks for showing it. Awesome. <laughs> of 
support the people that take their time to come talk to us. You've right, I appreciate it. Super huge help with us all weekend. Marty and Fumador have helped us with the uh, the co-hosts and stuff. If you guys haven't noticed, Thank we've you. had some connection issues and stuff. And being able to have the co-host set up means if any one of us could be disconnected, we still have somebody as a backup that keeps the stream going. Um, so thanks everybody for for helping us this weekend and uh, and everybody in chat for helping moderation and all the awesome speakers all weekend that have dropped a ton of awesome knowledge. Um, super, super excited to, to go back and rewatch some of this stuff again because uh, my brain is definitely getting full. Well, thanks, uh, Jordan. Uh, I'll let you uh, get back to your wonderful paradise there in Hawaii. Thanks, everybody. I'll hop off here. Steve, let's do an episode soon, buddy.